Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999 podcast like it's 1999 the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 from the soul of a boar god here in 2019 i'm one of your hosts kenny nybart i'm philoscope from the soul, that was amazing. Of a, soul of a Borg, the Borg God, Borg God. Yeah. Um, obviously, obviously, we're doing Princess Mononoke today. Um, <laughs> yes. With uh, with a great guest, we have Miguel Giron here. Um, hello, Miguel, hello. Miguel, hello. How's it going? Good. Miguel is a director and a storyboard artist. He has worked on such films as Secret Life of Pets, The Grinch, and the Oscar-winning Into the Spider Verse. Um, Which is the fucking best. How exciting for us to have you here. <laughs> how exciting for me to be here to geek out over one of my favorite movies. It's, it's so good. There's a lot of movie here, guys. There, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of runtime here. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's it's amazing to have you here. I think uh, I think Phil obviously is the guy who brought you in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was thrilled to have someone who actually knows what he's talking about when it comes to the the, the physical putting together of an animated film. Because we don't generally talk about that kind of thing on this podcast. And we've we had a few animated movies yeah. so far, and I think we'll have some to come. I'm trying, like, Toy Story 2. And Tarzan. Tarzan, that was the other one. I was and like, we have Iron Giant to come. We have Iron Giant to come. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's, it does feel like we're, as an industry. Oh, and, and South Park. And, yeah, okay, sure. At, at sort of an inflection point in terms of how uh, CG starts to affect animation. I mean, mm-hmm. Toy Story obviously being that, that's sort of the tip of the spear in, in 95. Right. Um, but I guess my question to you, and, and we'll, we'll get into sort of the biographical as well, but I guess 
Do you think that computers have made animation better? Uh, certainly so. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, because some people would argue that um, Miyazaki being one of them, that, you know, hand drawn yeah. is, 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 you know, pure. But I guess the question is sort of, I'm, I'm assuming the computers have helped. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, you won't you won't get more of a pure standpoint than uh, Miyazaki. <laughs> sure, <laughs> a lot of things. Um, but yeah, no. I mean, computers. I mean, it's a little bit of misnomer because I mean to say computer animation is a different thing than saying if computers have helped animation. Period. Because you know, my job, I draw all day. You know, well, you know, as a storyboard artist, not all day, but you know, I am a, a huge part of my my job is drawing. But I use computers to draw. I was like, just going to ask how you draw. Exactly, yeah. I'm literally drawing mm-hmm. on a Cintiq on a com- basically on a computer monitor that can record the exact pressure and like the mm-hmm. speed of my drawing. So um, for a layman like myself, is mm-hmm. that the equivalent of an iPad and an iPad pencil? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, pretty much. Um, so I, of course, am not a layman. I understood exactly. <laughs> so keep, keep going. Some of our- keep, keep playing at 30,000 feet. I got you. <laughs> right. Not to get too much in the weeds. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, computers, I mean, listen, animation is, uh, tedious. And by the way, is cur- do no cursing? No, cursing? you can curse, please. Okay. Swear. It is Swear. fucking tedious. I'm sure. Um, so it is just like anything to help your job. And computers is a big help to your job is completely embraced um, because as storyboard artists, do I have to really redraw that background like literally hundreds of times? No, I can just copy and paste, copy and paste, copy and paste. Um, so but there was a time when animators had to do that, correct? So every cell oh, yeah. was they were well that's... redrawing the background. Yeah, well, you know, depending on what stage, you know, for storyboard artists. Uh, you know, you wouldn't necessarily oh, redraw okay. the background all the time, you know, but to get, it's just, you know, it's, it was a different stage of storyboarding. Like Miyazaki, you know, is a great example because he storyboards all his films by himself, which is unheard of for animated features. Like no one does that basically uh, in the States and at his level at his level. Right. And, and he does this once or twice a year. Yeah. That's the, his output is insane to me given the, the amount of tedium. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 wild. He is a wild man. Um but he, he, he also just looks awesome. Can I just say that like physically I just love oh like God. his be- the, yeah, the gray beard and he's just he's just a he's just a classy fucking guy. <laughs> like I just I think he's great. He's like the real most interesting man in the world. He's just the yeah. best. Um yeah, he for all his movies he releases these books that are just the storyboards. And I don't know if you guys have ever taken a peek at them, no. but like Oh my god! They're you can gorgeous. treat me. You can treat me like someone who watched his first Miyazaki film yesterday. I'm not saying okay. I am that person, but you can treat me like that person. Okay. I want to go on record as well and say that I've seen a handful of his films, okay. but I'm certainly not. Uh, you know, I, I I I love Spirited Away. That was sort of Same. my entry point. It yep. was a film that 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 really sort of, at least, it felt like a film that right. connected. It was these two. These are the sort of some people got in on on Princess Mononoke, some people got in on, on Spirited Away, um, but yeah, I, I can't I can't speak to like his entire oeuvre. So, right. um, and, and I can't either. I mean, like I haven't seen every single Miyazaki movie, yeah. but I am a humongous fan. I've seen a lot of them. Yeah. Um, but he is uh, like like you like uh, like you. I Mononoke was the, my first Miyazaki. Like, mm. and during like the nineties. 
when Disney really started bringing him over and they kind of r- rode the wave of like the 90s kind of independent film boom, you know? Yeah. Um, Mononoke was my first Miyazaki as well. So yeah. let's take this back to the 90s. Where were you in 1999 or around 1999? I was in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Is that where you're from? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I grew up there. Uh, my parents are Nicaraguan. Uh, they had me and my sister in, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I was 15 years old, right? I think. Freshman year high school, so this this was kind of like a prime, like ripe time to mm-hmm. experience Miyazaki for sure. the first time. Uh, and eighteen ninety nine in general, as I mean, this whole podcast is about all the crazy movies that came out around that time. Yeah, um, that was like my peak, like mind blowing entry way into. Well, that's film. the right time, you know. what I mean, you're Completely. you're right in, you're right in the sweet spot of of adolescence to yeah. be able to sort of. Yeah, it, we've, you know, obviously we've had a, a, a lot of guests on here, various ages, but it feels like that's the one that sort of imprinted people the most. Like, I think that there are people that have, like myself, you know, I was 19, I was in film school as all these films were coming out, so I was much more sort of attuned to it, I guess, on some mm-hmm. level, but a lot of formative films that were seen by people when they were 15, 16. 17. I was 17. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, I had the same thing. Yeah. But it was right around that time. I mean, my... Yeah. I think my film kind of awakening started around 94, maybe 95, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, something along those lines. But I think it was that for me, too. I mean, I was yeah. I was older than you, but for me, like, 93, it was that sort of Schindler's the Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, you know, that oh, yeah. those two, when I was like, what's happening? But, right. You know, with, but sorry. Well, I, I want to ask I specifically about um, the animation of it. So were you an animation junkie up to this point but this kind of supercharged it yeah i i mean i was definitely one of those kids who was just like i'm gonna work for disney okay <laughs> growing up right i you know i was one of the obnoxious kids who just drew all the time um and i those kids were never obnoxious <laughs> <laughs> those were, whew, well good to hear did you were you because it's it, it does feel as though it was Disney or bust right i mean for a very 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 long time disney or bad disney or bad but bluth yeah. Yes, Don Bluth is a well, What are your thoughts on, on, on Bluth? Um, semi-controversially, I'm not a huge Bluth fan. Okay. But. It's not that controversial. I, I know, I know. <laughs> but I'm just imagining all your animation uh, sure. nerd listeners. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's, like, it's cool, it's cool, don't worry about it. <laughs> um, no, I, I respect Bluth, and I think his movies are super interesting, and they're actually more interesting for me to watch now as a kid, I was such a Disney snob that I was just like, Oh, this is not Disney. Right. This is, this is feels different. It doesn't feel right. Um, for me it really was Disney or bust until 1999, actually. Um, 1999, I mean, iron giant South park, which I think maybe was out of all the crazy films that came out that year. Maybe my favorite. Maybe still my favorite. I mean, it's it's a masterpiece. It's, it's a ninety nine. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's there's just no there's no better one. It's 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 like it holds up like nothing. It's I, yeah. We we've we did an episode on South Park and we all watched it together, and it's just yeah. It's it's bulletproof. Like there's just it's it's just incredible. It's just such a joyful experience. It's, it really is. Like it's, <laughs> it is. It, even like I was a little worried. I wasn't sure how well it was going to hold up. Better as, than you expected, even right? It really did because yeah. I remember seeing it in the theater, never having seen any South Park episodes, really. Oh wow! And just being like, "What is th-? like?" It just it, it was just unlike anything I'd ever seen, and it played like fucking gangbusters too. 
and I was just like, is it going to hold up? And it, it really does. Yeah. Some might say it's, it might be stronger today. So I, I just want to go back to kind yeah. of the, the 90s of animation. So oh, yeah. in, in the no, 80s and 90s, you kind of had the Disney Renaissance. And those, right. to me, I agree with you. Those, those kind of felt right. That's kind of, that's kind of, that Ye- felt like what an animated movie was supposed to feel like. Totally. And then Pixar came along and was like, well, it can also feel like this. Right. And, and that feels right too. What's that? And DreamWorks. And yeah. DreamWorks came along and said, this is a gross, awful version of, <laughs> of how it shouldn't feel. Yeah. Well, I think what you're getting, what you're, what you're getting at with Bluth is kind of like what I felt with DreamWorks, which is like, no, this, is, this isn't sitting right with me. Right. But the, the Bluth thing, when I was a kid, did feel a little knockoff. It did feel a little Shasta to me, you know? Exactly. And I don't know what it was because I, I was just a huge Disney nerd. And, yeah, me too. And around like Hercules is when I started thinking, oh, this maybe is not for me anymore. Um, yeah, it was around there for me too. It, it was Hercules. There's something about, and there's to me honestly, it was it wasn't even the movie or anything, it, and it wasn't even James Woods' performance. I hate the way that character looks. Yeah, and Excuse like the me. thing is, it's like I 80s. appreciate it now in a way because I respect it that they're trying to do something different, you know. Yeah, but I just. I think it was a combination of also my age at that point where I was just like, oh. I aged out too. Yeah, I felt like this was like, I feel like uh, this is for more for kids. And it's interesting because I've got friends that are that are younger than me. And for them, that, I mean, my roommate in particular, you know, you've got your uh, Lilo and Stitch, you have your Mulan. Right. Uh, I mean, Hercules is a bit of an outlier, but still like there's a younger generation where that's still good shit for them. Like oh, yeah. it's still, like it hit them when they were younger, like the earlier stuff, which is admittedly better, but still, like, when I think about Beauty and the Beast, you know, Aladdin, the Little Mermaid, four. the first, you're just like, Jesus. Yeah. Right. You can't, you can't touch that stuff. But then I also feel like, you know, Bluth had somebody in his corner that, that didn't, didn't, which was Spielberg. And I remember as a kid loving An American Tale. Like, oh, me too. It's a yeah. great movie. And, and, I, and The Land Before Time. Land Before Time is not that good. But <laughs> an American... An American, but American tale, tale's a great for, movie. for for a young Jew, like American, <laughs> yeah, the mouse a, a, a young Jewish mouse like myself. Like, <laughs> what, is, what is the mouse golem at the end? That still gives me nightmares. I, I have yeah. seen I it in a long recently, time. Actually, with the did kids. your kids like it? Yeah, they liked it. They like it like as much as they like anything. Now, now they, my, my kids are a mess. They're 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 so far done with that. They're six. They're right. so six, far okay. beyond animation. Right. They can't wait for Endgame. Like it's a. I've I've, I've, I've really I've wow. failed. I don't think that's a failure. You know what's cool? Not to go totally off track. Like the the obviously we all kind of know that it's important. Representation is incredibly important. Yeah, sure. But you don't really. It, it doesn't really hit you until you actually are sitting there next to like your six year old daughter who's never actually had a female superhero. I mean, yeah. We right. watched Wonder Woman together. It didn't really have the same effect because like. Oh, you know, I'll love to Patty Jenkins. It's just not the fucking same. Mm-hmm. It really just uh, these DC movies are just not the same. And when you're sitting here next to like ne- next to her watching Captain Marvel, and like the look on her face, because I have a son and daughter, they're both they're twins, they're almost seven. Oh wow! And my son is into all of them, and my daughter's never felt it until Captain Marvel. So, oh. oh, it was oh, amazing! Cool. That's and, awesome. Well, you know, I mean, at the end of every movie, what's the lesson? She's like, girls can do whatever boys can. It really. What, is, what else can you really ask for? Is honestly, true. yeah. Wow. So Should you know, we just end the podcast great. right there. Yeah, we're just mic drop. Well, you know, it's, I mean, <laughs> well, it's, it's not a Miguel her, has a daughter as well. Yeah, a much much younger daughter, but yeah. yes, she's uh, almost fourteen months. We're still on the month count. That's how young. Um, I have a twenty-one month year old that can hang out. Oh wow, nice twenty-one month year old. I know. Been doing this too long, but I do think it is interesting that. This film, just to, to sort of pivot a little bit yeah. to, to Princess Mononoke, mm-hmm. has such a unbelievably strong female 
character at the center of it. I mean, I think that that San or Princess Mononoke is a fucking badass. Like she's awesome. As is her yeah. wolf mom. As is her, <laughs> her wolf mom. <laughs> and there and the whole like other side, it's like all female warriors. Yeah. Well, well yeah, that's the thing. Like Lady Abasha. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And it's I mean, and I would say, I mean, we'll, we'll do a deep dive into all this stuff, but the thing that that I maybe was hit with the most is the the ambiguity that exists from a from a moral perspective you know what i mean that that he's not mm-hmm. that that our villain who is in theory lady abashi but then you're like but is she a villain yes. i mean yeah. you think she is yeah she's 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 who's empowering she's who's the corporatist who destroys the environment she is empowering the, the lepers and the and, and the and prostitutes the, and the well the prostitutes yeah but um I, Do you know what I'm saying? Though, her like, own, there's her own gains. I don't, you're not I don't think, back to, I don't I don't know, think she it, is completely intended, and at least certainly I didn't read it as she is a black and white villain in the film. Mm-hmm. Like, what which is sort of my point, right? Yeah. Like, for me, I mean, one of the reasons why I think the film is as powerful and amazing as it is is that I think the movie is purposefully going for this gray area where it takes. I think a, so too. I don't mean to say that that I yeah. yeah no I agree with you guys, but I do think ultimately like the it, I think this film is an, an environmentalist film, right? Sure. Oh yeah, and she's, but also sees the place of industrialism. Like I don't sure. think that the film is. Right. It's it's easy to to villainize industrialism and 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 mm-hmm. Lady Abashi, and yet. The film doesn't take the easy way out. I guess is what I'm saying. Like there, there is wiggle room in both of the both sides of the argument, and I think that that's rare. I, I think mostly in in kids' films because they like things binary, so the kids mm-hmm. can sort of grasp the concept. Right. And and he was very clear that this was not a film for children. <laughs> yeah, I read an interview last night where he was like, "I never thought about the audience I was making like oh wow this film for," which is a crazy statement. <laughs> For any filmmaker to say, but I think you never should. I, I, I'm serious. I think you never should. I think once you start, once you start thinking about what this person or that person or this group or that group might want from your film, certainly you stop making the film that you actually feel in your heart. And you start, I think, patronizing people. I think it's a little condescending to say this group of per- people would like this or this group of people sure. would like that. Oh yeah, um, that's why you know that's that's always the David Lynch thing to me, which is just like. It's very clear this is made for one person, yeah. himself, right? And I'm trying to unravel what's going on in his head. So yeah. I think that I think they're very similar in their own. I actually I I thought of him a fair amount in this, which is some very unsettling imagery in this movie. Oh my god, deep surrealism yeah. where you're just like, what am I watching? And I can't unsee it. Hard earned surrealism. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think that's why I, I think the Lynch stuff is comparison is spot on because. It's one thing for someone to be able to make a crazy image, be like, oh, that's real. That's very Lynch-like. Yeah. But if you filmmakers or just art in general – I mean, I'm a huge David Lynch fan, which I assume all you, yes. you guys are yeah, as well. Um, few movies reach that level that Mononoke does, uh, that Lynch always, to me, consistently does, which is really earn and really make these symbols and these images incredibly – almost like mythical. Like there's, there's an undercurrent beneath all the crazy trippy imagery that is so, I think it's just like, like an easily like forgotten aspect of making quote unquote trippy shit. Yeah. I I do feel like he Lynch and, and similarly uh, Miyazaki feel like they exist in some sort of space between dream and nightmare. Uh, that, you know what I mean? But I think, I think they have a really good grasp on exactly where that is. Great. 
Right. So I, it's like yesterday, and I don't want to call you out, Phil, because I don't think you, I, I think I might be strawmanning you a little bit. Oh, but great. you texted me and you said, <laughs> I love Princess Mononoke. It's insane and wonderful. And I was tempted to write back, is it insane? And I didn't write it back, but like there, there is like a, there is a, there is an interconnectedness to the whole movie. Yeah. There's almost a mission statement here where every image informs what comes before and what, what comes after that doesn't seem that insane i didn't so you know, insane I, that's insane, what i mean I, yeah. yeah and 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 yes I, I i think what i meant more than anything was there there is a method to the madness i wasn't yeah. i didn't mean to suggest that there wasn't um but it still feels like madness sometimes do you know what i mean like mm-hmm. I, I think that you don't get no i'm not again yeah. i don't i'm not this i know you're it's not obviously saying. this is, yeah. is not what you meant but if yeah. you don't engage with the images yes oh yeah it will strike you as insanity <laughs> yeah i mean the perfect example is last night i was i saw the movie again last night mm-hmm. and uh, Katie, my wife, and Elliot, our friend who's in town. Um, you know Elliot, right? I think so. Okay, yes. yeah. Um, they walked into the living room where I was watching the movie right when everybody starts gathering. Uh, basically, the climax where everybody starts gathering in the forest spirit pool. Uh-huh. And they had never seen the movie before, and they just started watching at that point. And like our friend was just like they were passing through because they're about to leave, and they stayed through the entire crazy climax, compelled by Is what's this going the, on. The, the beheaded uh, right before they shoot the forest gods. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Spoiler. Yeah. Um. And uh. And they were just like, it's really. It's intoxicating. Like there's something totally, about yeah. it that you just can't turn away from. And and it's interesting because as I was, did you guys watch it with subtitles or or dubbed? Just dubbed. out of curiosity. Okay, I watched it. I actually thought about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I was like, I chose the dub version because the dub version was 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 released in 1999. Yeah, I I didn't. I watched it with subtitles. Oh, so, so you didn't get Billy Bob Thornton? I did not get Billy Bob Thornton. Oh. I did, and, and, and hindsight being Huge what it is, mistake. hindsight being what it is, I kind of wish that I had listened to it with the dubbed. First of all, it just would have been easier because doing notes and looking, it, it was. But, I was also cleaning my 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 daughter's toys while in the beginning of the movie, so I was just like, that was the real reason why I was sure. like, I'm just going to pick the dub, which is fair. I, I think I also didn't. So I did a little bit of research before I watched it, and I, I don't know if you guys know about the translation sort of issues that were transpiring a little bit, which is that Harvey Weinstein, so basically Disney bought the rights to all of the output of Studio Ghibli. I think it's Ghibli. Ghibli. Yeah. Um, for international distribution domestically. Uh, and then punted this off onto Miramax. So Harvey Weinstein became involved in it. Long story short, it needed to be adapted for the dubbing because they felt like there were some mythological Japanese, what have you. Mm-hmm. So they got Neil Gaiman to do that, which I think yeah. is interesting. Yeah. But I wanted to see it. I wanted to see the words that, that, that they wanted me, that, that Miyazaki wanted me to see rather than the ad- adapted words that he chose for. Oh, those words. No, you, did it the, you did it the right way. I mean, there's, there's certain They're dubs. They're drastically different. I just, I felt yeah. like I was just being a, a stupid purist. I mean, that's <laughs> another conversation we can have too. Yeah. It's like, I, I the, I think they got better with the dubbing, the Disney dubbing. I bet they did. Uh, but I, I feel like the Mononoke one is, personally speaking, a mixed bag. I'm, I'm sure it is. I, yeah. I don't. I, I mean, I, I kind of wish I did watch it with those voices because I think it would have maybe helped a little bit, uh, just in terms of being pulled into the film. There was right. just times where I was just like a little confused. But this all comes back to what I was originally going to say, which is that the visuals are so arresting, that the the world is so beautifully drawn and so 
unlike anything I'd ever seen, that it almost didn't matter what anybody was saying. Like, I felt like I was watching this, this beautiful visual storytelling that in its own way didn't necessarily need to have a story, if oh, yeah. that makes any sense. Um, have you guys seen Ponyo? I haven't. No. I okay. need to watch that one. Um, it's great. I think it's really underrated. Um, it's, I, I bring it up because, to your point, um, I saw Ponyo in Tokyo, in Japan, when it came out, because I was working there at the time. And I went there. Obviously, it's not subtitled. I just saw it in Japanese. It was like, I just, I got to see this. This is a special, unique experience to see sure. a Miyazaki movie, you know, yeah. when it came out, when it comes, when it came out in, in Japan. And I saw it with a buddy of mine, and I'm just sitting there. And I don't know if you guys know anything about it, but like, yeah, it's all underwater. Boy becomes a fish, or something. is that right? Yeah, yeah. this girl becomes a fish. <laughs> it's like yeah. a very loose Little Mermaid adaptation. Yeah. Um, and that's basically what I knew going in. So uh-huh. I was watching it, and I have no idea what they're saying. And things start getting weirder and weirder and weirder. And at a certain point, this gigantic woman starts showing up, and I'm like, I have no idea what what the <laughs> hell is going on. But I'm enjoying it. Like right. I'm still like with like I'm in it. And I'm you know the movie ends. And I'm like, oh, that was really cute and trippy and weird. I cannot wait to see this in two years when it when goes stateside. Yeah, yeah. And then I turn around and I see these two middle aged uh, Japanese women. Bawling, just oh, wow. sobbing their eyes, just crying their eyes out. And I looked into my friends like, I don't know what movie they just saw. <laughs> like, I have, I completely missed out on whatever subtext was going on. Sure. Um, and even watching English right now, I, I, I get it, but I kind of don't get it still. But um, it's, it's interesting because I did find myself while I was watching this. I mean, there's, there's a lot of expo, there's a lot of exposition, there's a lot of characters that just have to kind of like barf up stuff so you have a sense of what's going on. But even when it's explained to you, you know, there's times where it's, it's, it's folklore, it's, it's, you know, mystical mythology, you know, all that sort of stuff. So it feels like a fairy tale, which sometimes has sort of tenuous plot mechanics, I guess is what I'm getting at. I I almost feel like it might be better. It might be a better experience uh, in Japanese without subtitles. Mm. Only because I did find myself getting bogged down in the who, what, where, why, and when, and how of it. Like mm-hmm. I, I did, I felt like I'm I'm constantly trying to catch up a little bit to the plot mechanics, and ultimately, like I don't think we're going to talk about that at all. Like I don't really, <laughs> like I don't think that's it's we, not really that. I necessary. mean, we can, yeah. but like it's yeah. Th- there are things that you can kind of grasp Surmise. from the from the visuals mm-hmm. that you don't need any dialogue for, and I, I, I it is a little exhausting. I thought the I dub- don't. I thought I, the dubbings were fine. Um, I thought Claire Danes was hilarious, but she was good. She yeah. was fine. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I I'm with you, Kenny, a hundred percent. Which is, I'd rather stay at a pretty high altitude because if we get into the weeds of some of the some of the plotting of it, it, yeah. it could get it could get a little bit whatever. But I need a synopsis. Because it feels yes. yeah, yeah. So for people who have not seen Princess Mononoke, uh, in the 14th century, while protecting his village from ra- from a rampaging boar god slash demon, a confident young warrior uh, Ashitaka is stricken by a deadly curse. To save his life, he must journey to the forests of the West. Uh, in his travels, he's embroiled in a fierce campaign where uh, that humans were waging on the forest as the ambitious Lady Ibashi and her loyal clan used their guns against the gods of the forest and a brave young woman, Princess Mononoke, who was raised by a wolf god, Moro. Ashitaka sees the good in both sides and tries to stem the flood of blood. Mm-hmm. Princess Mononoke opened in the United States on October 29th, 1999 and would make 
very little money actually, $3.9 million domestically, uh, made $159 million internationally. Um, with a budget of approximately $23.5 million, which would be about $35 million today, mm-hmm. Princess Mononoke was the most expensive anime ever at the time of its release, and Miyazaki, Miyazaki said he would not be surprised if it bombed. Instead, the film set a new domestic box office record in Japan, earning uh, 11.3 billion yen in distribution receipts. It became the highest grossing film in Japan until it was surpassed by Titanic several months later. Yep. Princess Mononoke has 92% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and 94% from audiences. Miyazaki doesn't have a movie that has less than 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, so <laughs> I want <laughs> – like, what sounds about right. Let's okay. do the thing about uh, anime. Yes. What can you tell us about – Anime, but also kind of Miyazaki's position in anime. It seems to me the outsider, the uh, complete outsider, that um, Miyazaki kind of is anime, and then all the all he's like the the tree from which all the branches extend. Um, is that close to true? Or I would, I'm not sure that's true. Um, let me also say though, as just general disclaimer, um, I'm not the biggest anime fan. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I almost consider. I have I have a lot of friends who are very into anime and I'm always trying to quote unquote convert me. Um, but um, and there are anime I like, um, but I think and I would just say this because what these friends tell me, Miyazaki almost isn't really considered anime in a way. Um, it's like it's almost too Western in certain. Uh, well, he is influenced by a lot of Western cinema, yeah, absolutely, which you can sense. For sure, literally westerns. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Um, and also, it, like Disney, like and epics. There's yeah. like very, very. I mean, first of all, the the score is basically Braveheart, but yeah, and it, the score is great. The score is amazing, and it, like Lawrence of Arabia, and it, yeah, the sweeping nature epic. of his films. They're they're huge. Like that. That was the thing. One of the things that hit me about this film was just like my, the expanse of it. Yeah, it just it feels just absolutely enormous. Right. Sorry, we cut you off. And Miyazaki is, is such an auteur. And that's another thing we can discuss about this whole idea of auteur, especially within animation, which is bizarre. Mm. Uh, and I think Miyazaki, if anybody embodies the closest you can get to being auteur in animation. In fact, he's such the, like the glaring exception, you know, uh, in general. And because all his movies are such uniquely him and his POV. Um, but you know, his stuff almost exists apart. Like I think people, he's not necessarily the, like the tree, which all anime, I think kind of branches off of. I feel like he's just such a huge popular entity unto himself. Um, I think to Western audiences, uh, it's very easy to see all these like stylistic tropes and, you know, um, styles and things that he embodies that is very Japanese, um, but he's almost, his, he's just like his own thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and my relationship with anime, like around that time, I mean, 1999, I mean, you know, I wasn't necessarily seeing movies in a theater all the time, but I was renting like, you know, VHSs from Blockbuster and, you know, all mm-hmm. these, anywhere I could, like every weekend I was just renting another movie and my parents were open-minded enough that it's like, oh, you want to watch Boogie Nights? Okay, sure. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Um, so I remember, I remember like around 1999, that was the time, you know, that's how I saw Mononoke. It's how I saw Ghost in the Shell, Akira, all this stuff. Um, Akira blew my mind, still blows my mind. It's insane. It's totally insane. I hope um, they never make a, a live action version how, of it. How can they? I don't know, but they're, they're going to keep trying. I'm sure. And actually, this is, a, yeah, I was thinking about this last night. It's like, 
so when Miyazaki dies, is there just going to be a mad scramble for all his film rights? And because oh, yeah. I I'll put money, we'll see a live action Princess Mononoke within 100%. our lifetimes. Hundred percent. Mm. I mean, I I will say this: um, Miyazaki and his company are very strict. Um, about the way that their films are made. Uh, there's this great story. Well, I love it anyway for, for a bunch of reasons. But so essentially, as I mentioned, Harvey Weinstein obtained the North American rights. Um, and he approached Miyazaki and insisted on a shorter version of the film that he thought would be more accessible to American audiences. Uh, classic Harvey Weinstein always looking to cut films. Um, <laughs> however, Miyazaki was upset about a recent, basically they did a heavily cut version of Warriors of the Wind, I guess, in 84. Mm-hmm. And several days later, uh, a katana sword was sent to Weinstein's office with no cuts embedded into its blade. Uh, the film was later released in the USA uncut. And when asked about the incident in an interview, Miyazaki simply stated, I defeated him, which I think is fucking incredible. <laughs> I love that so much. It's just, it's the best. Uh, but, but I do think to your point, you know, you can't even, these movies don't even stream anywhere. You can't even buy them on iTunes. No, exactly. Uh, you can only buy them in the highest frame rate, I mean, in the highest HD quality, I guess, which is still Blu-ray at, at right now. Right. I'm assuming there'll be 4K versions of them coming out any time now. But, sure. but it's just really interesting how, similar to Lynch, although Lynch doesn't keep his stuff off of iTunes necessarily, but, you know, when DVDs came out, Lynch refused to put chapters on his films. He said that his films were not to be broken into bite-sized things. They were to be watched all at once, or at least, you know, close to it. Um, so I think that there's something very interesting about... Uh, format, you know, and how important that is to, to some filmmakers. Um, obviously, Miyazaki being one of them. I hope that we don't see a bunch of live-action remakes of his movies, but... I mean, Me neither. Who the hell knows? But, um, so on, on, on the animation side, you know, I, I kind of want to sort of plug in to how this film was physically made, because I don't have any real comprehension of how that actually goes down. So mm. can can you enlighten us to some of that, possibly? Um, I mean, obviously, you don't know the specifics. You weren't there, but just in general. Of course. Uh, with a lot of tedium, a lot of pain uh, <laughs> is the short of pain, it. Pain, blood, sweat, tears. Um, so... Because <sighs> CG... I didn't, didn't mean to cut you off. But yeah. CG, I, this, there's only 10% CG in this film. So that, yes. would, so that means that you know we're talking about cells... Right. Hand-drawn cells. Hand-drawn cells. Um, this is the first, I, I believe this is the first film where he finally opened up to embracing CGI. In uh, any capacity. Yeah. In any capacity, which is um, fitting for the story about technology and versus <laughs> uh, nature. Um, yeah. Yeah, and the tricky relationship between them. Um, but, I mean, that's what's so crazy about his movies. It's just the fact that everything is hand-drawn on paper. Like that is to see. And I say that not only just on a, like just a pure volume scale, like imagining how much effort and work that goes into that. But his movies, what always amazes me about his movies is the sense of scale and weight and that and, and, and texture. Like that is so hard to do in animation, uh, much less, Hand drawing. One of my fa- like, for example, one of my favorite little details that I noted last night watching the film is when uh, Princess Mononoke son uh, approaches the Iron Town and she's attacking it uh, head on by herself, uh, and so she cool. is just it's so fucking cool. <laughs> and she jumps out of the mountain and she's just like pop, 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 on top of the the rooftops, yeah. And she's so light in her feet, 
and you're like just dazzled. And then you see, um, what's his name? Our, our, our lead hero. Uh, Ashitaka. Ashitaka. Ashitaka chase after her. And then as soon, and the, his first step on a rooftop, the rooftop kind of caves in a little yeah. bit and you see the wood splintering. And immediately right then and there, it's like those small details that to me are really signatures of Miyazaki, that really amazing, just zeroing in on detail that just sells the world. Like yeah. you, you feel that liquid overtaking the, the all the forest in the, yeah. in the climax. Like you feel all this crazy texture. Um, that's insane. Yeah, it's it's so funny because like I was thinking I had a similar moment um, or, or watching it, which is when uh, when she saves Ashitaka and she's carrying him through the water on the back of that uh, on the back of his sort of elk like sort of horse thing, thing. Yeah. and she steps in the water and she steps on like a bone and that's just at the bottom of the of the lake or whatever, and you see the way that the bone moves and the dust of it, totally, and you just you really just feel to your point the the weight of it. You feel the world of it. There's just a yeah. There's this attention to detail that. It's just, it's also, it's, again, it comes back to sort of that dreamlike quality where you yeah. feel as though you're watching something, you're watching a living dream at times. Totally. It's, it's really incredible. Um, I want to say one quick thing just to, to get back to the animation thing, because there's mm-hmm. a great quote that I have from Miyazaki where he says, uh, computers are really just an electronic pen or pencil, and I like regular pencils better. Um, <laughs> he said that the vast majority of the film, which is what comprised... What a Luddite. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so the, the film is made up of uh, roughly 144,000 hand-drawn cells, of which Miyazaki himself worked on at least 80,000 of them himself. Yeah, yeah for sure. I, you're just it's, – it's a level of um, patience that I certainly don't have in talent. Patience and just um, – I mean, Miyazaki must be like the shittiest boss. I mean, <laughs> he is like – and I say this, I say this actually with a little bit of knowledge. I mean, I used to work for this painter, Takashi Murakami, and love Takashi Murakami. His stuff is, uh, if you're familiar with his paintings, it's gigantic, super colorful, very anime, uh, cartoony um, paintings um, that are really rooted in traditional Japanese technique and references, but also just being like completely his own thing. Um, and so I worked for him for uh, two years, and one of what his was absolute, that like? I mean, we can get into that. Because <laughs> I want to hear about that at some point. Uh, one of his biggest influences is Miyazaki. Like, he's just like, yeah. to him, not only on the film level, but how he structured his, he structured his company, Murakami structured his company, uh, on Studio Ghibli. Like, really? And there are a lot of employees that I worked with who were also at some point worked for Miyazaki. Um, and the, the similarities were, I mean, they were say, they were just saying like, yeah, I mean the sort of punishing drive for perfection and the kind of, I mean, everything is just like, Oh, that seems really hard. How should we go about this? And the answer always was just like, just doing it the hardest. Absolute. <laughs> yeah. Like just, but the quality will be there, right? I mean, they say that. That's exa- you know. ex- exactly, exactly. It's like, uh, you know, all those leech demon leeches coming out of the boar god, you know? Mm-hmm. All of that, I mean, someone drew every single, someone had to track every single one of those leeches circling around the boar or circling around the arm. And to think 
the thousands of drawings you had to do to track that. I mean, when I think about that, it just gives me sh- like just shivers because it just reminds me of that time when I was working <laughs> for Murakami. <laughs> and it's like, I know how they were like, you know, it's this Japanese kind of, at least in my experience, a Japanese kind of. Is it a cultural thing to a certain extent? I, I mean, think I, it, I think it is because just a, a pursuit of perfection, a pursuit of some sort of level of quality. Or I, I, I think if, if it's not exactly that, I think the way I sort of think about it is it's more of a expectation that this is your life. Like I think uh, for Americans, like you work to have a good life, but in at least <laughs> for Miyazaki and Murakami, you, your work is your life. Like your life is supposed to find this higher purpose calling through your work. And wow. I mean, people would sleep in the studio all the time. I slept in the studio sometimes, you know, just cause you just had to keep working. You just had to like get it done. Um, and it's all about a higher calling, you know, which is, you know, to view in an American capitalist way is very dubious. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) Oh, what is a higher calling? I'm getting paid $15 an hour to make $2 million paintings. It's like, okay. Seems, seems like a a discrepancy. A little bit of a discrepancy. It's like a little bit of a calling foul, but, um, (laughs) uh, yeah, yeah. it's, it's, I think it's, uh, you know, I think that the painstaking effort that's been put into Miyazaki's films by him and by other people uh, is so apparent on the screen. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's inspiring. I I, I think yep. these stories are really inspiring. I think like it's kind of hard. It's it's kind of hard to square all the things we're talking about here because um, we're talking about cultural things. We're talking about artistic pursuits. We're talking about you know capitalistic pursuits and um, kind of the way, you know, essentially what we want out of life. So these are some big things we're talking about. Yeah. That all being said, what we do on this show, whether it's Princess Mononoke or whether it's, you know, what are some shitty films we've done? Whether it's some shitty films. Factor? Whether it's Chill Factor. <laughs> um, we, we are... To name one. We, well, we are, we're, 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 Breaking down and analyzing art, mm-hmm. and uh, I think I, I I have great respect for people who have that kind of respect for us, you know, as people certainly as people who are who are consuming the art, right? Because in the end of the day, we're going to pay them for an experience, and it's it, it's it's not even good to know. It's inspiring to know that people care that much oh, that yeah. our two hours and fourteen minutes in this case are as breathtaking and compelling and exciting and immersive as possible. Whereas on the other hand, you people who have who like, you know, the, the fine geniuses who made chill factor <laughs> who, who don't give a shit about the experience that we're going to have. They just, you know, take a bunch of shortcuts. So right. to that, you know, to, 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 to that end, I don't want it's it's not really a matter of endorsing one way of doing things over doing the other but I, I really I'm I'm really kind of inspired by the the, the person who takes the time to draw 80,000 or 144,000 cells. Yes. Um because it will be in their opinion the best way to take in experience the story they want to tell. Yeah, I mean yeah. let's honor the gray area of this movie and just consider from it both sides. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the reality lies somewhere in between, you know. Um, I do think is incredibly inspiring and to the point where like, I mean, Miyazaki is so often referenced in animation and pitches, uh, and, and, and like how we're going to uh, 
problem solving approaches and everything. And it's almost awful because, or not awful, but like, it's always misleading when someone is like, oh, I'm thinking of doing this Miyazaki story. It's like, well, what do you mean by that? Like, is it just like a crazy, like fantastical thing? What makes Miyazaki really Miyazaki is that he doesn't take any shortcuts and mm-hmm. he does the hard work. And you see that, you know, I mean, you don't, it's not like a hard thing to, I mean, you see that in a way that is, is pleasurable. You know, you don't see the hard work on screen necessarily, well, I guess you kind of do, oh. <laughs> but like, you know, you, like you're saying, like, you know, Miyazaki, the the way he's special is because he just t- t- takes no shortcuts. He does it the hard way. He does it the most immersive, beautiful way to tell his story. It's like, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of ridiculous analogy, but, but I'll make it anyway, as I do on the show. <laughs> um, I like magic as Phil knows. Uh, I'm way more excited when, for instance, uh, an escape act, when there's no way to fake it. The only way to the only way to fake it, it's it's really a prestige thing, right? The only way to fake it <laughs> is to slowly by slowly, year by year, build up your tolerance so you can actually be in the water for 15 minutes without breathing, so you can get out. That's the trick. Mm-hmm. The trick is working for it. It's pushing it. yourself. Yeah, the trick yeah. isn't like I secretly have scuba gear under my suit. Sure. Yeah. Um, because that's not a trick. That's boring. That's kind of that's kind of exhausting so that to, to that extent like I, I am really inspired by by people who are willing to put in all the time and effort to do it the right way i would also say too to um to, to your earlier point about the, the the plots or the stories of his movies like when someone says oh i'm going to make a miyazaki movie or i'm going to make a david lynch movie it's it's not necessarily hard to think of a bunch of weird stuff do you know what I mean? Like, sure, we, we've all we've all faked it. This is kind of the thing where it's like, this is the real shit. Like, this is the pure stuff, and you can mm-hmm. tell that it's been thought through. That it's not weird for the sake of being weird. Right. That it's that it's intentionally done. That it has that it has motive. As, as we've talked a lot about intent and how easy it is to misinterpret intent sometimes, and to think that it's just like, oh yeah, he just wanted to, you know, he just really wanted boar gods or whatever. He thought thought it'd be cool to do this. Like, I don't think that, you know. True auteurs or true artists never sort of do something on a whim necessarily. Or to be cool. Or to be cool. They're never right. chasing that dragon. They're doing it because there's something inside them that needs to be expressed. The best way to tell the story. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So I, I think it's interesting. To that point, is there anything that uh, – any any Western piece of art, doesn't have to be animation, that you think actually is Miyazaki-esque? No. I mean, I, I kind of like – I mean, certainly they're, I mean, intoxicating works of art, mm-hmm. Western works of art. And, and there's amazing, um, amazing examples of the medium um, that aren't Miyazaki, of course. But what's so special about Miyazaki is what we're talking about, like the no shortcuts, like the incredible amount of just like sheer passion and, you know, just... Um, you know, uh, effort <laughs> it takes to do his films, but few filmmakers. I mean, what he also has is like this incredible, unique sense of like humanism in his films and his sensibility that is unmistakable. If you've seen any of his yeah. movies and like, he's such an auteur that like, I don't think it, it, in some ways it's hard for me to think of any kind of analog or mm-hmm. any kind of comparison because, or, but even anything influenced yeah. by him that actually feels um, that's what I'm looking for. I, I actually actually feels 
in the spirit of Miyazaki. I, I, I mean, there are, there are examples of more mainstream filmmakers, obviously, things that are influenced by Spielberg, for instance, or George Lucas, that actually feel like the, you know, the, the spiritual children of those people. Mm-hmm. But um, is there anything like that? Because I, I don't know. I, there, there are obviously people like Lynch who really have never had anybody walk that same road. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, you know, I feel like there's it's it's slightly easier, I guess, if that's the right word, to think of uh, Lynchian, like people that have been inspired by him more so maybe than 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 Miyazaki or Miyazaki. Um, my my brain keeps going back to Atlanta for some reason, the show, mm. and thinking about like mm-hmm. that the, the the sort of. I know that 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 Hiro Murai from interviews has been inspired by Lynch and by potentially by Miyazaki as well. There, there's some sort of an intangibility, a, a, a surrealism to it, um, and I don't know. I, I I don't know why, but my brain kind of goes there. I, I think that also, I mean, to a certain extent, Spike Jones sort of comes to mind a little bit too. Um, th- there seems to be sort of this. There's there's a um, the natural world. I mean, he's mm-hmm. an environmentalist. is 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 so big a proponent of him. You don't see that that much in North American cinema, um, which is probably for a reason. <laughs> but yeah, it's funny. Like I'm trying to. I, my mind's honestly drawing a blank. As much as he's a reference point, there's. I think there's few filmmakers. At least I can think of on top of my mind. Much less animation filmmakers that have such a that have such a dedicated adherence to building these really considered worlds and also have this really humane and also environmental kind of perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if this is just because I've been going through a game of Thrones rewatch, but like when I was watching Mononoke last night, I was sort <laughs> of taken aback by thinking, Oh, here's another fantasy story that purposely is avoiding samurais as our main character, purposely avoiding like emperor feudal worlds and consciously trying to subvert our fantasy story expectations. I felt the same way, by the way. I thought, I thought Game of Thrones okay. a lot last night. Yeah. Yeah. I, I cause oh, good. I'm not crazy. No. Um, <laughs> but like to me, it's a good call. it was like interesting because it's like, Oh, he purposely is putting in this ancient world, but making all these fantastical, of course, demons and creatures and spirits and everything, but is it's all grounded on characters and them not necessarily being the perfect princess, like uh idea that you would think or like the saving, like, you know, Prince charming that you would think either. Like everything is very much in a gray area where the villains are actually kind of really good people. And the heroes are actually like kind of a little blind fanatics. Um, I thought that was really interesting. Um, considering this was, I've never, obviously, I hadn't seen this movie since high school until last night again, refreshing it. And, um, I don't, I'm not really sure there's that many fantasy stories that were consciously doing that in the 90s, um, necessarily. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I think that this film, um, hit a vein, not just because it's, it's, awesome to look at and it's a cool story but i do think that the that the the environmental message really struck a chord with a lot of people i i read a bunch of articles on it and um i want to read a little bit of ebert's review uh ebert put this on his top 10 of 1999 uh he 
very much uh, enjoyed the film. He said, I go to the movies for many reasons. Here is one of them. I want to see wondrous sights not available in the real world, in stories where myth and dreams are set free to play. Animation opens that possibility because it's freed from gravity and the chains of the possible. Realistic films show the physical world. Animation shows its essence. Uh, Miyazaki is a great animator, and his Princess Mononoke is a great film. Do not allow conventional thoughts about animation to prevent you from seeing it. It tells an epic story set in medieval Japan at the dawn of the Iron Age, when some men still lived in harmony with nature and others were trying to tame and defeat it. It's not a simplistic tale of good and evil, but the story of how humans, forest animals, and nature gods all fight for their share of the new emerging order. It's one of the most visually inventive films I've ever seen. Mm. Uh, the artistry in Princess Mononoke is masterful. The writhing skin of the boar monster is an extraordinary sight, one that would be impossible to create in any live-action film. The great white wolves are drawn with grace and not sentimentalized. When they bear their fangs, you can see that they're not friendly com- comic pals, but animals who can and will kill. The drama is underlaid with Miyazaki's deep humanism, which avoids easy moral simplifications. There is a remarkable scene where San and Ashitaka, who fall in love, who have fallen in love, agree that neither can lead the life of the other, and so they must grant each other freedom and only meet occasionally. You won't find any Hollywood love stories, animated or otherwise, so philosophical. Princess Mononoke is a great achievement and a wonderful experience and one of the best films of the year. I think that... The, the the moral conundrum and and the thematics that 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 are imbued in this film are so rich it's I, I to me that's that will be its i think its legacy the animation's incredible we all know that he's an incredible animator not to take anything away from that but from all accounts this seemed to be his swan song he was he basically said i'm throwing away all of the rules of anything that i've done before this um i'm making however long this movie is he even made a joke at tiff about how it's two hours and 20 minutes and how enjoy the ridiculously long uh length of it he just it it just felt like he went all in and this was just like i'm I'm gonna be done on this and then it was an enormous success and now 20 some odd years later he's still making movies but (laughs) It does feel a little bit like, I don't want to say the blank check because I think he had had many of them at this point, but it felt like the movie where he was like, I'm going to put everything I've ever thought about environmentalism, about humanism, about all of it, and I'm going to just put it all on the I'll screen. Li- I'll live or die on this one. Kind of felt like that. Yeah. And and it yeah. paid out. And, and I don't mean that monetarily. I just mean creatively and otherwise. I mean, just an incredible film. There's this interview where he was uh, talking about... Um, his past films and leading up to uh, Meiki Mononoke. And I think one of his biggest impulses and the desires to motivations to make the Mononoke was, I think he was getting frustrated in an interview saying how all his movies have this uh, environmental um, sort of uh, idea and, and concept. And I think he was getting frustrated between like whispers and the, I mean, um, uh, Totoro and the other movies he was doing that, I think he was getting the sense that people were thinking that his view on nature was this nostalgic, idealistic kind of um, beauty that was um, simplistic. And Miyazaki, one of his motivations in making Mononoke was like, no, I want to – I mean, yes, nature is beautiful, but it's a lot more complicated than that. Like nature is also brutal. And sometimes violent random, and, and awful, and incredibly yeah. violent sometimes. Yeah. Um, and this film stemmed from that desire to kind of really express exactly how he felt about this kind of gray area that he really sees humanity and, and the environment existing together. Hundred percent. I, I also feel like um, there's this. Uh, there's a great article in Days Magazine um, that came out, I think, about a year ago um, about how. Uh, 
prescient, I guess, the movie was back in the day. And and also oh, yeah. just about uh, – I'll read a, a small portion of it. But basically, uh, during an age where the United States government is – threatening or has now withdrawn from the Paris Agreement, you're seeing all of this stuff. You're seeing uh, us retreat as a, as a planet, it seems, from any sort of, you know, discourse about climate change in any real way, or at least the United States is. Um, and it, it, to see how Mononoke is about that balance, trying to find a balance between these two things. It's not about eradicating industrialism. Right. It's about trying to find a balance between nature and man. Um you know, and and literally, there's a scene where San is pleading with her wolf mother and asks, "Why can't the humans and forest live together? Why can't we stop this fighting now?" And basically, the uh, uh, the wolf god says, "The humans are gathering for the final battle. The flames of their guns will burn us all." I mean, there is something sadly prescient about about that about the film coming out then and and, and now, and and just sort of this. Um, I'll read this last paragraph here where it says, and so rewatching Prince Mononoke today should tap deeper and more urgently into our collective anxieties about what it means to cohabitate on this planet. As we teeter on the precipice of certain catastrophe in real life, this classic anime serves as a significant, nostalgic, impactful me- uh, meditation on our circumstances, how we got here and what we can do to fix it. And I think that, you know, hopefully that will be its legacy in some form or another. Mm. Yeah. Um, it won't. Uh, <laughs> No, it's not not, not not to be a total dickhead, but it, 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 I mean, I don't, I don't. No, disagree, I won't but. because because the 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 people who that message um, is intended for won't ever watch that movie. So it and then and it might empower the people that are hoping to fight for its cause. Maybe, but what 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 that excerpt kind of uh, inspired in me is mm-hmm. just this idea of well, how did we get here and and. Looking at Miyazaki and what we were talking about, about 80,000 cells and just do it the hard way and get the work done. We got here because we decided not to do it the hard way. Yeah. Mm. Because we've taken the easy way out well, with fossil fuels and industrialization and automation. Um, and all the automa- automation. Yeah. <laughs> um, and all these things that, uh, that um, have made our lives easier. And we refuse to get rid of. We, well, we refuse to get rid of because we don't want to work harder and kind of consequences be damned. Um, and that's, I, I think that, that that's, that's kind of the, the, the saddest part about this. I do think that the, the story of making this movie and also the story of this movie is put in the hard work, solve the problems in a way that everyone can move forward together, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, nature and man. But do you not see shades of that in the, in the green new deal? In the, do I, well, I I mean, whether or not that comes to fruition or not, and I certainly sure. don't want to have a too much of a political debate, but I do think that, of, of, that there's of course, something there. Of, yeah. of course I do. Yeah. But I also see that it's being proposed by, you know, the people yeah. people perceived as the most radical. far left radical people yeah. in this country that won't even be, that, that even people in the center of our party, yeah. my party, your party, I'm just guessing you're running <laughs> up. Um, Correct. Won't, won't even necessarily stamp, rubber stamp, yeah. right? Yeah. So. Presenting what uh, what I think and you think and we think is basically common sense a common sense starting point. Seriously, I won't even be acknowledged by sixty five percent of this country. Sure, so, yeah. And I love that this conversation is 
going where it is right now, actually, because not to get into politics, but yeah. I mean, this it's, is, it's fine to get into politics. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is the, everyone's the, so afraid of it. I'm not, but this know? is like honoring <laughs> what the film is like in the film's legacy. Like yes. truly, I mean, for us to be talking about this, this is why it exists. And to me, the fact that the green new deal exists, even if it's like considered extreme, yeah. even with this movie that made like how many, mil- like $3 million in the United States, mm-hmm. the fact that it exists and is a, you know, it should be more widely available, but it is available and is here. I mean, that's a good unto itself. It you is. Know? The fact that at least all this stuff, uh, change happens in such small increments. And the fact that these things exist, at least period, as a launching point, is going to help for the next film, the next plan. Like the next time this comes around, courses are taking clock that we're dealing with. But, right. you know, um, I would, I would argue that politics are a similar beast as well. I mean, I, I think that, you know, with every step, you know, with every two steps we make forward, potentially we take a step backwards. Sure. And obviously right now we're certainly amidst that. But mm-hmm. I do think that the fact that we have people fighting on the left for the environment, hopefully it won't be too late. To your point, mm-hmm. there is a ticking clock. But there are people fighting for it. And we should we should take hope in that and we should take solace in that and we should fight for that and hope that those people's voices get louder and stronger. And, you know, and and I think that to your point, you know, Miyazaki makes this film to obviously speak to those issues. But I also think that um, he wanted to make a lasting piece of art to some extent as well. And I think that imbuing this with big themes and big ideas um, is rare. So we should be also embracing the fact that, that this exists. And it was rare that a film it, – it's, it's even rare for a film to provide such a nuanced argument and concept of what we're talking about. Because, I mean, much animated or not, you know, I, I, I can't think of many other films that shine a light on this issue in such a sophisticated way. Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah, I, 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 I was trying to come up with, I mean, the, the movie that came to mind was Fern Gully <laughs> or, uh, or Avatar. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Avatar. unfortunate movies, th- th- those movies are fine, but well, they're, you know. yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're very, they're very, they very much come down on the side of any industrialism. Right. Is ultimately a, a threat to nature. Yes, sure. Um, but the other one, I mean, I said this to you last night, uh, a little more nuanced is Moana. I thought you were going to say Idle Hands. No, no. I mean, I could bring that Idle Hands joke earlier. But, Mo- but Moana is... Almost, Moana's definitely... It's, a, yeah. it's, like a, it's like a remake of this movie in a lot of ways. But do uh, those movies provide the other side of the argument Moana in a compelling does. fashion? You know, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like... There's plenty of movies that'll be like, especially in the 90s, like Ferngully, where it's like, industrialization is bad, you know? Yeah. Nature is good. And Avatar, which is saying the same thing, too. Exactly. Yeah. But this movie is, I mean, it's saying nature is also fucking crazy. Like, <laughs> nature is causing me to decapitate all these people's heads that I don't want to decapitate. Which is well, kind of badass, by the yeah, way. It looked real crazy. cool. Well, yeah. I would argue religion is doing that. Because ultimately, like, he's not really able to decapitate people normally. It's his demon arm, like in Idle Hands, like Idle Hands. that he got from this Borg demon god. That, right. So I, there is, like, we're not talking about this, there, but there are three worlds in this movie. There is the, the world of the forest, which is nature. There is the world of, like, kind of Lady, Lady Eboshi, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. kind of like the, you know, the creeping industrialization of 
feudal Japan, but also the rest of the world. And then there's like the world of the gods that's omnipresent in this. Um, that I don't think that I don't think the film is all that sympathetic towards. Do you think when when you say gods, do you gods and demons, gods and demons? I, do you see that as a as a religious allegory? Cause, sure, because I. I mean, that's fair. Religion is not saw, really what I mean. It's I, more mysticism, yeah, spiritual, well, yeah, spiritual. It's, it's, yeah. yeah, it's, okay. it's, it's otherworldly, something that is greater I, than I'm us. I'm not very familiar with Japanese religions. Yeah. I, I must admit. <laughs> but, um, shame on you. But sure, yes. Yeah. Uh, a, a spirituality and mysticism. And, um, yeah, I don't think that, that, I don't think that the film is that sympathetic towards it. I, I, I would tend to agree. I don't know that. I don't know Miyazaki's religious, you know, perspective. So I don't, I certainly don't want to, to speculate on that, but it does feel like he acknowledges that there might be something bigger than us, whatever that, however that manifests itself mm-hmm. and that it might not be benevolent. <laughs> I think <laughs> I, in my mind, when I saw the film, I sort of collapse the spiritual gods stuff into the nature part, the nature part together. And I think that's kind of a Shinto idea, Mm -hmm. uh, I believe. And I think of anything, I'm not an expert on this at all, but I think, um, I I think that is something that Miyazaki was consciously, um, putting into the film. Um, I definitely agree. And that part is present in Moana. That that's sure. Yeah. That's kind of what I think Moana, Moana is getting at to some extent, which is like, if you don't take care of the planet, God will, Unleashes wrath upon yeah, right. him, yeah. or her in that. But what's yeah. interesting about Mononoke is that once these gods uh, are shot by Iron, they have this. Pure, this starts this process where it isn't necessarily the Iron that. Um, it's 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 less the Iron. It's more the hate that the that comes from the violence that consumes them. You know, and I feel like. It's not the it's not the literal bullet itself, but the intent behind the is the intent behind the bullet, and it's there's a choice. I think the film is trying to constantly. I I think the urgency of the film is trying to tell the characters and the audience that there's a choice to make in any given scenario. You know, you know, once these demons, once these gods are shot by iron, they let their hate consume them. You know. Uh, once these humans are, you know, are hell bent on producing iron, that becomes a blinding element to itself. You know, I think what the film's real beauty and like important message is, if anything, is trying to say as a direct message is that this kind of humanist idea that, like, well, we kind of have choices and we have to see things on both sides, you know, mm-hmm. and we had a like the most. Uh, Ashitaka is is that right? Ashitaka, mm-hmm. terrible names. Um, Ashitaka can do is just be there with San, Princess Mononoke, and just do what's right and yeah. kind of you know um, not let. They're constantly trying not to let people go crazy around them. Mm-hmm. Um, constantly trying to be like, we need the head back to return to the forest god. You know, we yeah. doing all these things to prevent to basically show that there is a choice and that there is a way to try to like be aware and conscious of living in the world. Yeah. It, it definitely feels like there's, um, the, the film is, is, is attempting to have some sort of a middle ground and, and in all of the relationships, it seems the film ends in a, 
some might argue a, a less satisfying way in, in, in saying we have to exist in a gray zone, um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, antithetical to most studio movies. You know what I mean? Right. They, they want something that's wrapped up with a, with a bow and everything's nice. And, and this film gives you a lot of that. Like, it, I, I feel like the film ends on a, on a quite optimistic note. Definitely. It gets real fucking dark, mm-hmm. you know, before that. Right. Um, you know the 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 moment when uh, Lady Yabashi shoots the head off of the the um, the, <coughs> the forest, forest god. Yeah, um, it's just like yeah. There's just a lot of there's a lot of very horrific imagery to get you there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does feel like at the end he seems relatively, and by he I mean Miyazaki seems relatively optimistic. At least he was in '99. I don't know if he would be today, <laughs> but it's it, it is interesting. I, I I would like to talk a little bit about the plot. Just because I feel like there's some stuff in there that I, I I would love to sort of talk about from a high altitude, um, you know. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot; we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I was listening to, to a, a Blank Check podcast uh, the other day about The Corpse Bride. And they were talking about stop motion animation mm. and uh, the the advancements and how it's taken some of the sort of um, uh, the life out of some of it. That you need the fingerprints of people in the clay, and mm-hmm. that if you're if you're trying to find shortcuts around that, it doesn't feel as lifelike. I bring this up because I do feel like, and I and this is sort of a question posed to you, but do you feel as though um, there's 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 a shot on Ashitaka's face when he's when he's told his fate by the by the older woman at the beginning, where she's like, "You're going to die if you don't go and find a cure to this thing in your arm. You're going to die." And there's this stoic look on his face, and yet there's this fear and this sadness, and there's all this this host of emotion that they're able to convey on the face of this this young man. Um, and and I wonder whether or not you feel that if computer animation is as effective at that. I think we've made a lot of leaps and bounds. But when I, I, you know, I watched the, when we were doing our toy story, I watched the first toy story, the, you know, the, the bookend on either side of it. And you see that first toy story and you see how far we've come in terms of being able to emote. But do you feel it's as effective as, as hand-drawn animation? You know, it's funny. Usually people ask that question in reverse, <laughs> you know, uh, usually it's like, can it like, I, I think an easy argument in animation industry these days against hand-drawn animation is that computer animation allows for more sophisticated acting. Um, Interesting. Um, you Does know, that include like, like motion capture? Is that uh, motion capture is trash. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that, oh, right. wow. Yeah. I all mean, right. 
<laughs> I would even say there's a controversial opinion. I think it has, I think like, well, here's truly, I think everything has its use mm-hmm. um, and uh, its purpose. Mocap is great for certain ways, but when people, and I think Andy Serkis is an incredible actor and like legitimately like amazing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, all his mocap performances and, and especially Gollum and Caesar, uh, I mean, a lot of that, you can't mocap a face directly. Mm-hmm. Like it requires an animator mm-hmm. to take it at least halfway. Um, and taking what, you know, the any circus is, um, intent and everything, but you have to sell it on the screen after that, you know? Um, so sorry, that's a total <laughs> digression, but, um, every medium has its place. I think acting and performance, uh, is honestly just as valid in hand drawn as it is in uh, CGI and computer. Okay. Um, you know, people. I I agree. The acting in Mononoke is beautiful and great, particularly because it's so understated. Um, there's a way of that they are they're getting into the characters' heads that is, I think. Rare because I, I feel like Western animation, at least hand drawn animation, is a lot more performative. It's a lot. It's a lot bigger. It's a lot more theatrical, um, and I think that's due to a lot of reasons. But I think I mean part of it is because of its roots. It's more based on you know um, cartoons are based in vaudeville, car- you know, and more mm-hmm. theatrical modes of uh, performance and entertainment. Um, and uh, Miyazaki doesn't really go for that in his movies. And I think they're stronger for it. We don't see many examples of that kind of hand-drawn animation, just period. And I think that's one of the, it's one of its real, that's one of the really underrated aspects of why his films are, I think so powerful um, to see. It just did. Yeah. There was just this, that look on his face that just hit me. And I, and I just was like, wow, I, I don't know, you know, if you can do that, or, or I guess maybe that I had seen something like that in a while. So I was. I, I, I want to make know. a point about acting in general, and uh, that I think goes to this. It, we give awards for acting, and it's almost always for most acting, right? Um, <laughs> and sometimes some roles call for a lot of acting, but in general, a film isn't based around one person carrying the emotional heft of a movie. It really shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. I mean, occasionally it has to happen because of the way a film is structured, but it shouldn't be. The drawing Ashitaka... Uh, Ashitaka? Ashitaka, <laughs> the way they did it, and San, and all of the characters in these movies show, a, to me, a greater understanding about the way a film is put together, mm-hmm. which is essentially the, um, the context in which the performance is seen is as important as the performance itself. And when you're drawing it, that really make that really makes me think that they understand that in a way that you don't understand it when you're having these hand drawn or CGI characters emote in some wild fashion. Yeah, you know, I think that I always think about that um, Eisenstein experiment. You know what I'm talking about? I don't think you know so. what I'm talking about? Yeah. The, basically, I'm, I'm kind of making it up a little bit, but you had the same shot of a, a woman, and uh, you went to a bowl of soup, and then you went back to the woman. And you ask the audience what you th- what they thought, and they said the woman is hungry. Same shot, woman, mm-hmm. man with a gun, woman. 
What is she thinking? The woman is scared. It's so much about the context, right? And to understand that, have the guts to not have Ashitaka react in some over-the-top way yeah. is really kind of exciting to me. And I think that really speaks to what a master is. I, I agree. I, I would also say that it it makes the moments of violence or the, the outbursts or the, the sort of the bigger the big moments, moments really impactful. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, but I mean, one more, it, yes, just allows, it, it puts you in his shoes. Yes. You are giving, you, you're the one who is putting the thoughts in his head or, or, or if you, if that, if that makes any sense, it's your, it really makes it a lot easier for you to say, I get what's happening. Also makes the audience feel smarter. Yes. Which is super important to any movie or any film. Yeah. I mean, or any TV show. Right? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it, 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 the quietness of this film makes its loud moments really, really hit you. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier, uh, the. It's like every Rage Against the Machine song. <laughs> I think that's his inspiration. <laughs> um, but I, I think that, you know, you, you mentioned her attack on, on Irontown. Right. Um, even just the fact that, um, the, the, the big battle sequences mm-hmm. are, are, Almost pop flashes. Like you don't get. He doesn't really give you a full battle. No. Um, which I think is really interesting too. Yeah. He, um, you have to surmise what's happened in a lot of these battles. It's either popping to it because Ashitaka can either see it or or is thinking of it, um, or it's post battle mm-hmm. and you're getting kind of pops of what transpired. It's just interesting considering the the sweep and the scope and the size of this movie, you never get some big giant wide shot of two groups of people coming together in some sort of a battle as you would probably today. Right. Um, he, he, he's, he's consciously, you know, his influences, if you will, from a filmmaking perspective, he's not going for Braveheart. He's not interested in Braveheart or Avatar or something like that. Um, it's it's much more emotional and 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 uh, thematic, really, more than anything. There's also the the rush of those shots of her like flying at the screen with all this like fire and brimstone behind her, Mononoke. It's just it's it's almost as though he's just painting these these he's literally painting these frames for you, right? And he's trying to sort of make them as impactful as they can possibly be. It's it's just it's it's really I mean that's the beauty of it's anim- a living painting. Totally. And that's the beauty of animation because performance I think can um performance can be layered in a way in animation that you can't do in live action. Like you can forgive the plants and trees an emotional performance in just the way they move, you know? Yeah. Animation is about movement, you know? And it's not necessarily the facial acting. I mean, when we yeah. first see uh Ashitaka and how confidently he just dismounts his elk, <laughs> you know, and starts running. Uh, there's a real, there's a, there's real emotional information you're getting as an audience in, in that, you know, just the way the, the forest deer confidently steps on the ground in that incredible shot, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. where the flowers are sprouting of every hoof print. Yeah. Um, there's real acting in that. And Miyazaki understands that almost better than anybody, yeah. you know, that it's, and that's what I, you know, I love, I love how he animates, and this is a little bit of a side, but I love how he animates planes. I mean, you can tell he <laughs> loves airplanes, <laughs> just like a fucking adores planes. The way he animates mechanical imagery, there is, 
there is some sort of like human aspect towards it, you know, like the way the the water moves. My, one of my favorite one of my favorite Miyazaki Miyazaki uh, acting sort of ticks is that whenever a character gets really like riled up or upset, um, their hair sort of just does this little like lift yeah. and kind of porcupine kind <laughs> of like uh, thing going on, you know, and that is something that is so. You just can't do in live action. It will look fucking weird. It's like it's it's this is very unique animated thing, and the fact that Miyazaki understands and every movement is an opportunity to give it some sort of emotion, some sort of POV. I've also noticed that when his characters are very emotional, um, there's almost like a slight vibration in their eyes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where, exactly. where it's it's not it, like that's the, an anime thing, right? With I don't the, I don't know. Is that with, I, with the, the, that second kind of. Me. Dot and then you know what I mean, yeah. like that 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 like anime big eye thing. Like yeah, the, the he doesn't do that as much as like it's. I think it's a little more subtle than a lot of anime does yeah. it. You know, mm-hmm. um, I know what you're talking about. Um, he he does this thing where yeah, the eye the eyes sort of vibrate a little bit. You know, like and they're kind of it's kind of in the character in Spider Verse. The, um, the Penny, what's that? Penny Parker, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's kind of drawn in that sense, and yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and Penny is like, I think, a, a much more dramatic expression of that. I mean, mm-hmm. her eye shapes literally go into like perfect circles with yeah. like no pupil, you know, yeah. like all that stuff to to play with that. Well, it does feel too as though like the different genre sandboxes that exist with the different sort of versions of Spider Man are. Accentuated, obviously, to to a coolest. It's, movie. it's the best. Um, I do want to. As you were talking, something sort of occurred to me that I think is that is interesting in terms of the balance that Miyazaki uh, attempts to have in his films between uh, reality and uh, the unreal, I guess, or the dreamlike. Because this film is very grounded in in nature, right? You have these beautiful, you know landscape shots right where he's trying to show you the the beauty of the natural world Mm -hmm. and then also teetering into you know the supernatural and 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 the various knives that he juggles in his films to make you believe that this world exists and that you could you know that you could see yourself in it and yet at the same time needs it to be as unreal and as sort of supernatural and exciting and 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 larger than life it's just it's it's a really interesting balance um especially with this film which does have such grounded themes and is trying so hard to to you know convey a message not to say that his other films aren't but it's just it's 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 just very interesting and you know in comparison to something like spirited away for instance where i mean that's that is a that's a full on fairy tale it's it's much more it felt a lot more of a, a akin to his earlier work in mm-hmm. terms of you know, a, a fanciful story about a young girl or a child or something like that. And um, so it's, it's just, it's, it's interesting to see because there's a shot in it. And I don't know if you guys remember this. There's a shot of, of Ashitaka uh, on his elk walking towards us at one point. And it's just a, it's just a, a straight shot, but the way that it's, the way the background is moving as opposed to the way he's, it's, it's beautiful. And it's, it's almost, um, you know, hypnotizing to watch. It's, it's one of the first shots of the you know movie. Talking about? Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. And you just find yourself just being like it, it, cause the background is so detailed and, and, and so inviting. And yet there's something surreal about the way that it's moving. It just felt like it encapsulated the film in a lot of ways as to what he was sort of attempting to do. Absolutely. I mean, I think, I think this was his, one of his last attempts to be, uh, 
to ground his movies in such a almost realistic kind of mm-hmm. way. Yeah. Since, I mean, probably since, uh, the wind rises, um, you know, and I think it was, I think it's all because of the story, you know, like you really needed to like sell this sort of period piece to accentuate all the crazy, really adult, uh, depictions of these demons and, 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 and spirits and gods. Um, and, and I think the film necess- like needed that, you know, yeah. to, to have to ground all this stuff in a really tactile, real, realistic kind of way where, I mean, horses are the worst to animate. Like really I, it's, it's so hard. Like to get the locomotion of the the their their feet, you know, like obviously, like okay. horses move different than humans, and right. walking just walking cycles, period, are so shitty to animate. Um, horses are just ten times worse, mm. and the fact that like we read all these horses and all these animals as just normal like you're just like oh yeah that's just how a mm-hmm. horse moves that's just how a <laughs> sure, boar moves sure, sure. you know is uh astounding on just on a technical level yeah it's the way all the animals move in this film i found i mean the way the 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 wolves move in this sort of this yeah. graceful sort of there, there's a fluidity to the way that they move that i just found fascinating um i want to talk for a second just about the the uh the romance in this film, mm. um, you know, the, the first time that Ashitaka sees Princess Mononoke, uh, she's sucking the poison or, <laughs> out of out of a wolf's yeah. wound. Yeah. Um, and Which then, is like, also the poster. Yeah, of her, like, wiping yeah. her mouth. Yeah, they're it's, not shy about it. They're not shy about it. and it's But it is oddly romantic. Like, he's uh, almost immediately enraptured by this, you know, by her. Uh, it, it's, it's a very interesting romantic story. Uh, and I don't... I don't know. How did you guys feel about it? I guess is sort of what I'm getting at. I mean, did you find it? Did you find it sort of, I didn't find it necessarily romantic. It felt almost brother sisterly to me in a weird way. Yeah. Um, there's, there's this sort of acknowledgement of the fact that like, yeah, we love each other, but like, we can't really do anything Mm -hmm. about it. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting. And, and, and it feels imbued obviously in this first moment they have together where it's like right from the jump, you're like, these are two very different people from two very different worlds. Uh, and, and she almost doesn't seem human in a lot of ways. I mean, she was raised by wolves, but it's just, it's, it's a fascinating first. It's a fascinating me cute. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, I read it in the same way that, uh, I kind of, it's kind of, it's one of the things I was thinking about when I, was saying earlier, the film kind of subverts <laughs> typical fantasy stories, you know, or like, of course is a beautiful princess, you know, and like this young, very handsome prince that they are constantly referring that he's very handsome in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and they present it there. And I think, I, I think the fact that they put it so in the subtext of the film and don't highlight that much attention to it, mm-hmm. all the better, you know, because mm-hmm. I feel like it's a little, it's stronger that it's to me, I found it pretty understated. Yeah. Um, I, it's not my favorite aspect of the movie, honestly. It's, yeah. It, it, it does feel like the most sort of, I don't want to say perfunctory. That's almost but, incidental. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is. It, yeah. Like, and I almost wonder if where reading more into it than was intended. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, 
it, it, it's yeah. It, it, I, 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 I'm hesitant to say that it's perfunctory or that it was almost put in there as if the story needed a romantic subplot, which it, I don't. Yeah, I, yeah. That's because fair. it seems to me like it's <clears> only <throat> it's only in there in that you have a male character and a female character. They kind of meet in the throes of an intense situation. They succeed together, kind of, and then they go yeah. their separate ways. Yeah. But I don't really, I didn't read, honestly, I didn't really read Romantic Love in it until I started reading reviews of it. Right, right, right. I think, I think story-wise, they had to do something tricky um, because they needed to, in all this gray area, they needed to really make sure the audience completely understands that our hero has to side with this princess that he barely knows. Right. You know, I, I, you know, he's really going, risking his neck to, to look out for her and to defend her to everybody. And I think, I think, uh, they had, I think they felt to me, the way I interpret it is like, Oh, I, I, it feels like they needed to make sure that like, yes, we understand that, Ashitaka's main goal is to find a way to stop the poison that's going to kill his body. Of course. And this princess is his best lead. Yeah. But also, like, he has to do a lot to uh, team up with her. Like, he yeah. has to literally defy an entire town uh, yeah. and possibly risk his life, which he does. He gets shot, <laughs> uh, literally, like, saving her uh, as he takes her out of Iron Town. Um, and I think the romance stuff that it sort of skirts around and like barely hints at, I feel like they, I feel like that was a useful tool for them to kind of make sure we buy that Ashitaka would do all this stuff for her. I mean, it, it certainly serves a purpose. I wasn't suggesting that it doesn't, I guess I just felt like it's, it's an interesting choice that he made to yeah. not imbue it with a, with a, a level of romance that you would maybe expect from something like this. You know, I mean, uh, no. an epic story almost always has a romance like this. Yeah. Even Lawrence, of, so, Lawrence of Arabia had its own version of this. So right. I, I, but I, I wonder if that's kind of us yeah. putting that in there a little bit. I want, no, yeah, yeah, I want to pivot to something else. Okay. I think this movie 20 years before it was kind of sexy is making the point that the most destructive invention of all time is the gun. Yeah. Um, and it comes up a lot, right? Like basically, all the creatures in the in the forest are like, "Well, we stand no chance. They got guns, <laughs> you know. Like when it comes down to it, they're going to shoot us." Yeah. Um, and I think that that's a really kind of interesting point and a really interesting idea of you know that is kind of when it became unfair. Yeah. Yeah. And it's own. I mean, I guess you know it's when the balance was really thrown. fire to yeah. some extent, but. Yeah, and I, bows and arrows, but it still kind of feels like of nature in its own way. I think when the gun was invented, that was it. That's when that's when the people who have the guns could take over um, various places and whatever. And we're obviously yeah. still dealing with you know its effects literally two days ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I'm sure literally today, but yeah. So I think uh, I do think I do think that the film is is definitely making a statement about. I mean, the the plot of this film is essentially thrown into motion by a bullet that hits this boar right. that turns, I mean, that, that essentially starts the whole thing in motion. So um, I, I also, I'm, I'm curious as to sort of, there's a, there's a conscious effort. And, and again, I don't know, I don't know Miyazaki's films maybe well enough to speak to this, but uh, his, his depiction of women, I think is very interesting. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that um, the, the, 
the spectrum that exists in this film in particular, where you, you obviously have, you've got Son, you've got Princess Mononoke, you have uh, uh, Lady, oh my God, uh, Iboshi. Um, and then on top of, you have this, these host of, of women that work at the Iron Town, mm-hmm. the, 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 essentially the prostitutes that, that at first seem kind of like flighty and overly sexualized, but then by the end turn into warriors themselves. Yeah, they're great. Um, so I, I do feel as though he goes out of his way to circumvent any sort of, you know, gender stereotypes and what have you, especially in this film. Um, yeah. So I, I, at first I was sort of like, I don't know about these prostitutes. And then by the end I was like, okay, I'm on board for what he's, what he's really trying to say with it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, so it's to, interesting. To the film's credit, doesn't feel forced. Yeah, it doesn't. doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It really feels like that, that he's telling the story that he wanted to tell. Yeah. It, it, it's that simple. I mean, so many, you know, so often today, representation not to undercome my earlier point, but does yeah. feel forced. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and does feel token. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like that all the time. I'll yeah. always go back to the, the girls' controversy where, you know, <laughs> Lena Dunham was kind of forced to shoehorn Donald Glover in there in a way that I don't think satisfied anybody. Right. Um, that's not what this feels like at all. Yeah. And I, th- you know, I think that's great. I, I, I it, it, yeah, it feels very organic. It yeah. feels like he's, yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, it's it's great. Yeah, Lady Eboshi is, is one of my favorite characters in the film, actually, because she is such a complicated portrayal yeah. of a character. And then she, it's like it's you know literally is that she happens to be a woman, and yeah, and there's really not much to it <laughs> beyond yeah, she's, that. Yeah, I mean she's 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 written also uh, an accomplished swordswoman too. Right. Oh my god! All the sword shit in this movie mm-hmm. is just—it's the best. <laughs> all the like swords and knives, like her fight between that he gets in the middle yeah. of is so fucking cool. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, like it's worth maybe it's worth just like talking about how fucking cool this movie is. Yeah, it's just—it's—I <laughs> literally right now, as you know, as I'm watching the film, I'm obviously sort of noting plot points and what yeah. have you. And at one point I just wrote, honestly, Princess Mononoke is the fucking coolest. She's such a badass. <laughs> she gives zero fucks. Her attack on Iron Town is so fucking cool. Her mask, all of it. Like, she's so awesome. It's, and, it's, yeah. it's astounding. I mean, like, I was getting Terminator vibes uh, yeah. Yeah. with Ashitaka specifically. I mean, there's a point late, late in the film where, uh, God, what is it? I think it's... Uh, I'm trying to remember exactly what who it is or whatever, mm-hmm. but he just dispatches these two these yeah. two guys with the with the sword. When he, I think with the sword, he or, discap- he, there's these two samurai soldiers that come at him at one point when he's on his way back to Iron Town later in the film. That's it. Yeah, and he just he just eviscerate well because he's got the superhuman armor or whatever. Right, but like he just it's crazy. It's it's, so it's cool. nuts, and I'm just you know Miyazaki never really did that ever again in yeah. his films. You know, go for uh much less you know like show any kind of violence much less that kind of cool aspect about it and i think he probably would have mixed feelings about us talking about how cool those scenes are but maybe i, I mean, mean I, there is a part of me that feels like he's kind of scratching an itch i, I, I do it doesn't I feel i mean you when you tell us how hard and painstaking it is to make this shit right you're, you're trying to make it look cool yeah exactly i mean i i, I, I it does it's not gratuitous. It, it, the movie isn't about that, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. Um, but man, he does know how to deliver spectacle oh, in yeah. a way that if it's not, if it's just like nature stuff or in this case, violence, he knows how to do it. And it's funny. I think people who, I don't count myself as one of these people, but I think people who Mononoke was the first introduction to his films. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I think there's a lot of peers and people I know who I think, 
are just like a little vaguely bummed out and disappointed that he never made like not Mononoke two, but another thing like that. Yeah, you know that is a little more uh, uh, adult quote unquote animation. Yeah, um, that you know delivers those that kind of violent spectacle. You know because he's very much like after that. I mean. Spirit Away is much much more of a fairy tale. Ponyo is very he was way younger than that, even you know. And When Rises is what I don't think anybody was asking for, which is <laughs> very like adult, great movie. I love the movie, but you know, uh, just straight up period drama. You know, yeah. It's do you? How old is he now? He's getting up there. I think right? He's eighties, right, or yeah, something. So we we don't have that many more movies out of him. Is my is my guess one more? Yeah. <laughs> And I, I think, I mean, and I, he's retired how many times? Fake yeah. retired how many times? Yeah. I think right now he's doing this Caterpillar movie, right? Like, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's another like, uh, young kids film. Okay. He's 78 right now. 78. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's yeah. got time. Oh, what? Clint is like yeah, 92. Clint, yeah. Right? Clint's not making this though. No. <laughs> Clint is one take. Clint's one take. Yeah. Now Clint's the opposite. It's the best. Yeah. <laughs> It's amazing. Yeah. It's just, he's just amazing. I know. I, I mean, he, round of applause for getting out of bed. Yeah. He's like, yeah, yeah I'm here, right? Can yeah. you hear me? Great. Let's move on. Right. Like, really, Scott is in his 80s, right? Yeah, really, Scott's older That's than you would crazy. think. He's, he's really yeah. up there. But yeah, it, it, it does feel like. You're kidding. Ridley, Ridley Scott's in his 80s? Yeah. I think so. I'm pretty sure he is. But I do think that, that this film is a little bit of an outlier in his filmography. It I mean, is. It, 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 in, a, in a bunch of ways. Um, and it's it is interesting that he made a concerted effort not to continue down that path, right? Um, but then you look at the fact that he made how many films prior to Mononoke? I'm assuming fifteen or twenty films yeah, prior to Mononoke, twenty or so. So, and all of those films were f- for the most part for kids. Mm-hmm. So it's not a huge surprise that he went back to something that he knows really well. Well, he and- started. I mean, he started more on the uh, adultish sort of spectrum of anime. I mean. His first film was Lupin the Third, the Castle uh, of Cagliostro. Have you guys seen that film? Or I have not. I'm I'm looking up his his works right now just so I have them in front of me. But he's yeah. I mean, it, it's it's great. I highly recommend it. I mean, it, it's the least Miyazaki of Miyazaki. I mean, it's literally uh-huh. the third installment of a really popular anime uh, franchise. But um, it is like his take on this kind of James. Bondian like hmm. thief sort of escapade. Um, mm-hmm. And it has one of the best car chases ever. Like just period. <laughs> like seriously, like really? that car chases. I mean, I highly urge you just to look at that YouTube clip because I really uh, do want to buy like, there's like this really elaborate box set of all of his it. stuff on Blu-ray. Do you have that? I don't, but I, I will it's, buy it at some point. It's a, it's a pretty of epic all thing of everything he's ever, it's just this How beautiful, much is it? it's like $300. Oh, um, it's like it's 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 like three hundred films. It, it it is a lot. He has a lot of shorts too, which I I don't know his short films. All, I mean, I don't know his films all that well. But so the so Boro the Caterpillar is is a short okay. that came out last year, I guess. Right. Um, which I have not seen. And then he has a movie in pre production called How Do You Live? That's what it is. Yeah. The I don't know what that's about. Though. I think the Caterpillar is exclusively shown at Studio Ghibli. So this film, How Do You and Live? It's not going to show anywhere outside of it. Really? Yeah. It, it, the film depicts the psychological growth of a teenage boy through interactions with his friends and uncle. Oh, sounds like boyhood. <laughs> Miyazaki's boyhood. I mean, I'd, I'd watch that. Yeah, yeah it's, 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 he's just, 
he's amazing. Like there's just, there's no one doing what he does. I mean, I went to see a film, I don't know if it was last year, the year before. Um, Oh my God. Uh, Oh my God. What the hell's the name of it? They're doing it at bad robot. They're remaking it. The anime film. um, Oh God damn it. It's really your name. Yes. Thank you. Jesus. I knew it was vague and I couldn't (laughs) think of it. I adored it. Yeah. I thought it was unbelievable. It was one of my favorite films of last year. It's good. Yeah. (laughs) I I, I was a little, I I think I was a little overhyped on it, but I I, I mean, I didn't go in really with it. I mean, it made a, it's the most successful uh, anime film of all time. Yeah. Um, And I didn't really know much about it. I saw the trailer and I was like, okay, I'll go and see it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just, I think the thing about it and, and I guess Miyazaki's films too, is that they feel like, a bunch of movies. They feel mm-hmm. like all these big things and they take these big turns that you just, they don't care. I don't want to say they, but the, the, there is a, a lack of acknowledgement or uh, worrying about how graceful turns are of story yeah. and, and how graceful some things are. They're just like, we're going to do this thing and you're either along for the ride or you're not. And I don't know if that's a cultural thing. Here, we just need everything to be very sort of handheld. And there doesn't seem to be that there is, overseas as much. I feel like it's – I think it's wrong to say – I'm not saying you're saying this. But yeah. I think it's wrong to say that Miyazaki doesn't care about his audience because I think he absolutely does care about his audience. Mm-hmm. Like he is thinking about his audience um, and I think the difference is that he trusts his audiences in a different way than Western animated movies trust their audience. Um, you know, there is a certain level where – he will, he will trust a, 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 an adult, much less a kid, to understand that the understated acting performance of Ashitaka, understanding that his life is going to be over soon, and he has to act on it. That's that's a very hard thing to do as a as a creator of anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's I think that's basically the daily struggle uh, is is how much you can. What's the least amount you yeah. can give your audience? Right. So they get what you're doing without insulting them? Yes. Um, the confidence that's required on that, too. Well, you just have to be really great. <laughs> but, that, but no, at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You, you just have to be yeah. really good. You have to be really good. And, and know you're really I mean, and that's kind of where the confidence comes from. Yeah, you have to be really good. You trust you're really good. Because your, I think, cause, yeah. frankly, I think audiences in general are pretty great. I, th- I think yeah. for the most part, I think audiences. Yeah, we we think. I don't think as an industry we think very highly of. Them. I think very no. highly of. I think very highly of audiences in general and audiences who don't get things that are playing at a reasonably high level. I yeah. don't particularly care about. I, yeah. I don't even really. I don't even really acknowledge they exist. I yeah. assume every audience member is at least as smart as I am, and and I don't so mean, very smart, so brilliant. <laughs> but, but I don't, but the point. The point is, that I don't consider myself to be all that smart. So there's I, if I get it. You should be able to get it, and you being anybody. And if you can't get it, and I'm pretty sure that you know all, all that everything's there, there's nothing really else I can do. I, I the last thing I want to do is insult someone who I consider to be as smart as I am or smarter. Yeah, so. it's so hard in creating movies because, and this is something that I deal with every day as a story artist. Is like you want to start your movie, and you're kind of doing what your story is, so you want to make, be as like dummy proof and bold as possible and just be like, this is what I'm thinking. This character goes through this extreme arc and this extreme arc. And I'm going to make sure the audience completely understands where I'm going when I handhold them uh, as much as I can. 
um, because you just want your story to work, right? You're right. just trying to figure it out on a real, like, like perfunctory, nuts and bolts level. Nuts and bolts level. Yeah. Is this clicking? Is this story working? You, and then at a certain point, then you have to step back and totally. you have to strip things out. Totally. Like, I am... You know, am I saying too much? Animated movies say way too much. You know, you're constantly are walking right up to the audience face and being like, hey, X, Y, and Z, blah, 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 blah. This means that, that means this. But there's something so powerful that is so underrated where if you can get the audience to take a step towards you. Yeah. And if the audience suddenly feels like they are figuring it out along with the characters and experiencing all the characters – that to me is when you when the movie becomes from good to great. You well, know, I just want to that's what you just said is literally the difference between ninety nine percent of network pilots and ninety nine percent of cable. I was pilots. literally just thinking, or like exactly. good cable pilots, right? That's yeah. the difference. Is and this is a John Landgraf thing? Uh, FX pilots started Act Two, right? Oh, right, cool. So you you strip out that first. The, I, I know this guy from there. Or this is who the I origin am to story. This person, yeah, you yeah. just. And that doesn't mean it can't be a, a um, premise pilot. Yeah. It could still be a premise pilot. It could still be first day of work. Right. But you don't have to show all the bullshit in the beginning. Um, let the audience catch up. I think that's the fun of watching TV is, yeah. the, is the what's going on here. But every – I mean, you know, we're in the middle of pilot season right now, right? We are. So we're reading a lot of pilots and every – and Phil and I are both drama writers. And every pilot that you read for a network for a network is – uh, I showed up first day of work. I'm a cop. I showed up first day of work. I'm a doctor. This is what this doctor does. This is what that doctor yeah. does. This is what you're expected to do as a doctor. That's why you see so many shows where it's like, no offense to Grey's Anatomy because they did this brilliantly, but it's, we're all here the first day they of work. They can take offense. This, They've this, been yeah, around. They, but they also, I, I, will, I will say that. I, I think the Grey's Anatomy no, no, no. is a brilliant I'm, pilot. But. I, I am going to, I do agree, but I would also say that the Grey's pilot does throw you in the deep end a little bit insofar as that it doesn't, you know what I mean? It, yes, it's first day. It's all of that. Um, but it throws the residents in the deep end. Yeah. You're with, and I don't yeah. mean that no, 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 no. Yeah. This I is why totally I like, agree. This is why I like the Grey's yeah, Anatomy yeah, yeah, pilot because yeah. it has its cake and eat, eats it too. Yeah. You're with these residents day one. There's a very organic reason to tell you exactly what's happening. Yeah. And they're also thrown right into the deep end. They're 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 like elbow deep in people's guts by like yeah no for sure for sure so. I I do think it's yeah I I was thinking literally the same thing as as you were talking about how it does feel like as as writers or as as filmmakers or however you want to call it we have structure beaten into us so hard because that's what the studios and and the networks and the and you know they want right well, to Miguel's point there's nothing worse than a pilot that does or a story that doesn't work right right so, so you it's it's fine but but i would also say too that that i would be lost without some bearing walls and and some sort of structure and and an acknowledgement of a three-act structure or an acknowledgement of character arcs and that sort of things there are a lot of filmmakers and writers that don't want anything to do with it um and you see and they're brilliant and i i, I don't have that in me like i i need to know like if i don't have rails to some extent yeah and and i can move those rails a little bit me me, but, me too i just i take a i take a more militant position than you about them <laughs> which it's is tricky great. just this though i I, yeah. I like to think of it as like do I trust the person in the control tower? Like, right. 
Right. The first thing anything has to do is to clearly communicate what are the rules. Like, what am I looking at? Rules you know? are very important. Like, how how do you, how are you expecting me <laughs> to rules over here. consume what I am watching? And if you can quickly establish my trust, like, okay, this person knows what they're doing, yeah. and then then let the audience step up to you. Like, yeah. that's a tricky balance that I think every film has to do. Like, Spider-Verse... It was so hard in the beginning because what you guys see the movie. It's in the beginning. It's like, there's a lot going on. It's telling you there's a Spider-Man. It's telling you that there's real stakes, but it's also telling you it's a comedy. It was yeah. hard. It was, it took us forever to figure out like, how do we make sure we tell the, the audience? Because what we're doing in the movie is stylistically and story wise, a lot different than other normal quote unquote animated features. How do we make sure the audience knows it's okay to laugh? Because we have right. all these big action epic stakes or whatever. And the minute that Spider-Man dances in front of the camera, like Spider-Man 3, that's when the that's when audiences can like latch onto it. They're like, oh, okay, I can huh. laugh. Like huh. that moment was so hard earned. <laughs> and it struggled for us to find it. And it's not the funniest joke in the movie. It's not it's like yeah. one of my least favorite jokes, actually. <laughs> but like it is it it's maybe arguably the most crucial and important joke. It was in, important in to film. me in that movie. Well, I mean, to your point, the 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 entire the, the entire goal of a creator, you're telling a story, is you you, you got to convince the audience you can land the plane. Yeah, right. That's exactly. it. Exactly. And you and it that in, in TV, it's so important that you can convince them you land a plane. Like on Lost, for instance, when they convinced me, and then they crashed. Um, <laughs> they had you for a bit, though. Oh, they had, dude. They had me till the end. I remember arguments we used to have. They had me until the last moment. No, All right, yeah. I was like, "They're we're gonna land." <laughs> They got this. I know, like, like the oxygen things are coming down. I'm like, we're gonna be fine, guys. <laughs> like flight, the plane's it's like, like upside ah, down. Yeah, like yeah. they landed, they landed. <laughs> um, you guys did it for me uh, with the in- in- the introduction of Peter B. Parker. Yeah. Was like, oh, we're oh, gonna- yeah, I love that. We're gonna be fine here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it is. A, I mean, the, it was a real high wire act. I mean, that's why the film is so brilliant. Yeah, but it's a real high wire act of all of those different genres of 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 story too, like understanding multiple universes. I mean, again, very hard to do. Well, they assume that the audience got that shit. That's like, that's what, I but mean, that's an I, assumption. I, you which, know what I mean? You which was worth making. Sure. Sure. It's sure. worth 100%. making that but in the world, that yeah. in the world, that in a world that has like given a billion dollars after a billion dollars to these Marvel, yeah. Marvel movies that are significantly more complex. than I think people realize oh, certainly yeah. the way they lock together. Yes, the yeah. MCU is, um, is a is a very quite complex, the feat, right? right? Yeah. At once overrated and underrated at the same time. I completely agree <laughs> yeah. with that. Totally agree with that. Yeah. Um, you you made a lot of base assumptions about the audience and what they're able to understand. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to hold their hands, and that to me is like I'm like okay, this isn't a baby movie, even though I literally went with ten kids. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, it's great. Ten babies. I took ten babies to this movie. I'm like, this is not a baby movie. It's made for me. I hope the babies like it. <laughs> But it's it's a I mean yeah I I didn't really know what I was walking into like I had an idea I'd seen some of the trailers mm-hmm. um, but it immediately sort of lays down its its I don't know what you what you would call it but it, it just it basically says like this is what we're doing mm-hmm. you're either on board for this or you're not and and not a lot of films who wouldn't be on board though 
That's this is a Mononoke. This to me is like well, yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's a very, fucking surreal. It's a very inviting. It's it just does. a very inviting train. There's something that's well, because it's, it's, like, it's a hero you know. Well, yeah, Miles is a really hero I know. Like so, Spider Man is. Yeah, Spider Man is, but like I don't know, Miles is Miles is really warm. Peter yeah. B. Parker's really warm. He's a big brother you always want. Yeah, um, the whole thing. There's something just like really warm and inviting about yeah. it even the, and and plus oh, the sure. the way you use like kind of the panels like it's right. it's a very it's, it's a, a very, very friendly film don't get me wrong movie. yeah i mean just I, I, it, the relationships between they, the, the the between miles and his parents and like it's all very inviting i'm not suggesting I, it's this not, is but. i mean i feel like i'm just blowing smoke it's almost like south park in the way that like i felt south park was a thousand leaps forward right mm. you know and i yeah. feel like spider-verse is actually a thousand leaps forward and now we can like backfill some shit yeah. that like <laughs> like how we got there almost because now you guys have kind of proven i gotta go that, home and watch it again now. that audiences That's are willing to kind of ex- accept that kind of movie it's true um and they're, they're, just think about forget about what like is going to go beyond spider-verse one day yeah all the things that that, that they could build now to get to spider-verse sure. like it's such a stupid example, but like, there's no sausage party without South Park, right? Yeah, sausage yeah, party is right. nowhere near as good as South Park, but like, yeah. I'm pretty happy that like sausage party can just come out, exist, yeah. and nobody fle- flips out of it. I agree. No, I, 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 I think it broke the mold in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think the Spider Verse allowed. I think. I mean, I know what you're saying is it's giving us a freedom now. It's moved the ball so far so down the field mm-hmm. that you now have the ability to be able to do things that you couldn't before. In, in live action and animation. Yeah. So far, it's yeah. it's a really exciting movie. Um, it's awesome. awesome. Thanks, guys. Almost <laughs> truly, truly, I know. I know every. I know everybody. Like, I know everyone loved it. Yeah. And like there was this moment where people were like best film of the year, and that didn't really happen um, when it came to the top ten list or when it came to Oscar nominations. Yeah, it's it's strange that it didn't land it on. Kind more of had this I weird thought. Star Is Born thing where like yeah. all of a sudden it's like wait 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 don't we all love this movie? Shouldn't we just getting nominated for best <laughs> picture? But um, seriously, those are the two movies. Those are the two movies of the year that I will all that I will remember for the next hundred years of my life. Or million years. Let's see. Million years. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be a robot. You told your kids you're going to be a robot, right? You'll be in their phone forever? I, or I, like no, that? I, I would never say something that stupid. I, I, <laughs> Did I make that up? Not the phone part. You're the phone of co- of That's cor- the stupidest part about it. Of course, I'm, I'm so sorry. <laughs> of, course I, of course I told my, my son, who's afraid of me dying, that I will become downloadable. <laughs> um, that I will integrate with a machine at some point. And I, love he, it so I, much. I never will have to die. So so there you go. So that's that's at least you've given him a, a, a so I'll be watching, completely I'll be, I'll be singing shallow in the year one million with my son. That is incredible. I Can guess technology has really consumed religion at this point. Yeah. Oh, I mean seriously. Well, he, he's very religious. Yeah. My son, it's very never weird. farted though. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm going to blow up a spot. Oh no! Did you, did it happen? I was I was putting him to bed a couple nights ago. Mm-hmm. And he he smiles. <laughs> he smiles at me. And he goes, "Cause my all right, so my son is my son claimed he's only farted once in his whole life, so right? Funny. My to my daughter. Weird flex, but okay. Yes, he goes. I've only farted once in my whole life, right? And this is only two nights ago. I'm, I'm putting God. him to bed, and he smiles at me. He goes, "Dad, I have something I want to tell you." I go in. He goes, "I fart all the time." <laughs> Like a confession. Yeah. And he just laughs and he goes, all the time. <laughs> well, I think your son understands yeah. comedy. Yeah. 
It's a good bit, though. I mean, he stuck with it for a while. He really, he's been good about that. But, um, oh, my he, God. He that's said, so great. He said, don't tell Layla. I'm like, don't worry. Your secret's safe, your secret's safe with me. I'll just tell I'll just tell it on my podcast. Oh, my God. Should we yeah, end it? Don't worry. Should we end it on the oh. <laughs> go out with a bang? Oh. Well, I mean, I feel like we've covered most of the story yeah. at this point. But I, I do sort of um, – we do it so we do a rating <laughs> on this show, Miguel. Okay. Where uh, we rate the films from 0 to 99. <laughs> Uh, what we thought of the film if we saw it in 99, so zero being the lowest, 99 being the highest. Okay. Then what you thought of the film before we sat down and had this podcast, and then a score after, as (laughs) though potentially this podcast might have altered your score. Okay. I will go go first. Um, So I saw it in 99, (laughs) uh, and I really liked it a lot. I thought it was great. Um, I would say I probably would have given it, you know, a... Uh, 80 maybe back in, in 99. Uh, I don't think I saw it in the theater. I'm pretty sure I saw it on, on DVD. Um, but I quite liked it and it certainly was my first Miyazaki. Uh, so it, it opened me up to, to spirited away, which, Mm um, I probably like, I don't know if I'd like it more. I think spirited away, spirited away is like, I think it's one of the top, three movie going experiences I've ever had. Yeah. It's, it's, as far as foundational things for me, that's really high in the list. I think it's also, um, uh, and maybe this is, it's less complicated. Like <laughs> I, I, on some level, I think that, that Mononoke is just, it's a beast. It's just a big movie with a lot of big ideas and a lot of plot and a lot going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess Maybe I like my Miyazaki to be just a little bit smaller and a little yeah. bit more emotional in, in, a, in less characters and just kind of cleaner. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that I don't obviously think that this movie is brilliant, but Spirit yeah. Away just hits I me agree. on a different level. Yeah. Um, so I would, I would say that uh, before this podcast, I'd probably give it an 86. And after this podcast, I'd say maybe even go up a little bit more, like 88, something like that. That's where I'm at. Mm. Um, do you want to go? Um, I had not seen this movie. Uh, I, I first saw it in hi- high school as well, the freshman year. And at that time, I think it, I think I liked it a lot. I, it blew my mind. <laughs> sure. But I also think I was like, I mean, at that time, and I don't, it was not necessarily I was naive, but like, I think I took for granted how many mind blowing movies were around at that time, you know, uh-huh. especially in the nineties, yeah. you know, yeah. that, um, I didn't understand as many films as I thought I did. I think, <laughs> sure, you know sure. what I mean. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I, I'm just like, I, I'm not the smartest person in the world. I'm not the dumbest either. But like, I feel like a lot of movies I saw that time, seeing them again is makes me appreciate them in a whole different light. Um, and I think Mononoke, I loved it, but it was really the first example of just like a really non-Western animated feature that I've really ever seen. So for me, I remember loving it and just being astounded by it. But I think kind of cracks your head open a little bit. It cracked my head open a little bit. And I don't think I under, totally understood it. So I think my first rating would be, and then when I saw Spirited Away and then I saw Totoro and started filling the gaps, that's when I was really clicking with Miyazaki. And I feel like not that I didn't love it in high school, I enjoyed it because I definitely did, but I feel like when I look back to hindsight, I was like, oh, all the, the violence or whatever. It just felt like adolescent to me mm-hmm. and a way that I didn't like my older self kind of downplayed it a little bit. I was just huh. like, oh, this doesn't feel like, um, it feels like, it feels like, uh, th- it feels like 
non, um, how do I say this? Like bad Miyazaki fans. That's their favorite movie. You know, right in a way, because right. it's like yes. decapitation. It's yeah. like it's all the this coolest, quote unquote, the coolest. Exactly. One. Yeah. And to me, it was just like, well, that's not really what Miyazaki, Miyazaki is really all about. He's yeah. not about the violent spectacle or whatever. So this is all to say, I think before I saw it last night, I would have given it like maybe a 76. That's the huh. first number okay. that came on my mind, uh, which is, I mean, great. I yeah, love it. Yeah. It's worth watching, yeah. but like probably lower on my Miyazaki list. After seeing it last night, I was blown away by it all over again and i would definitely put it like 91 89 i think because i mean i got to see past the adolescent stuff a a little clearer and got to understand it in a way that like like i said earlier i don't know there are many films that provide such a sophisticated and nuanced take on environmentalism and humanity existing with nature um just period like I would rank it in like as far as documentaries I've seen, you know, and as far as clearly articulating an almost impossible position to, for us to kind of reckon with, you mm-hmm. know, and like you're saying, it, it has aged in ways, unfortunately, <laughs> that is makes it even more important and relevant than ever. Well, and I would I would also say just quickly before you. Um, give your scores. I, I think that to do all of those things, to, to say something yeah. about environmentalism um, and also tell a good story. Exactly. Is yes. very hard to do. Cause it's not, it's not preachy, <laughs> so, you know, it's, it, not. it's not. And that's, and I hate that. Like films that, Really take you the know, message first Fern and Gully. then figure it out. Right. Fucking Fern Gully. <laughs> exactly. But like it's a really engrossing story in a yeah. way that I found I find Game of Thrones engrossing. It's like taking a really classic fantasy historical kind of period piece and subverting expectations and me being more drawn into it because of it. Well it 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 similar to Game of Thrones and, and I as I as I put my Blu-ray onto my shelf yesterday after watching this, I thought to myself, I can't wait to go back to this in a couple years. It yeah. feels like a, a, a tome. It feels like a rich book that you can go back to and you will see something new in it the next time that you watch mm-hmm. it. Absolutely. It's just so dense and so rich. Um, so, yeah. Anyway. Uh, I wasn't kidding when I said this was my first Miyazaki <laughs> film. <laughs> I think that. Uh, yes, ever. <laughs> um, and uh, my only real issue with it was the length. Yeah. It's really, it's it really is a slog at times. Um, for that, I was at a seventy five because I thought it was brilliant in a lot of ways, but like mm-hmm. it is a lot of work. It yeah. is, yes, um, absolutely. But it's like reading. I don't love reading. I love having read. And, <laughs> and uh, same with writing. I feel the same way about writing. Yeah, I know. Or, or really anything, because <laughs> we're because we're, we're we're just a couple of Miyazakis here. <laughs> And uh, I feel that kind of strongly with this movie, which is like, yes, I did watch it and I did feel like this is work. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Work in a way that animated films are almost never work. It's asking you to take a couple steps forward to it. Yeah, for sure. And it's so unlike anything I'd ever seen. Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, I was. I mean, I was flashing back to like like the the dubbed French shit that used to be on Nickelodeon when I was a kid, like Spartacus and the yeah, City yeah. Under the Sea or yeah. whatever, the Sun Under the Sea. So like things that you know, or like the old Little Prince stuff. Um, so things that like I hadn't really engaged with in a very long time. Um, that said, 
having read it, having having seen it, and having experienced it, and having talked talked about yeah. it, like I'm kind of convinced it's one of the most brilliant movies ever made. <laughs> that said, it's still two hours and twenty minutes. So um, it's fair. I, I'm I'm at a ninety. I think it's a love it. Yeah, I think it's it's really an incredible piece of piece of art and piece of work, and um, an incredible film to talk about. Yes, you yeah. know more than a lot we, we yep. see this a lot like that's kind of why we love this year so much is that there's so many rich films yeah but uh this falls nicely into that um into i that was group. when you brought it up um i don't know probably six months ago or something like that where you're like oh we had to do mononoke and i was like i didn't even know mononoke was a 99 movie quite honestly um and then i and then i was so fucking excited to talk about because it it's just like you could do five hours on this movie like it's just mm-hmm. there's so much going on in it so yeah and this is a great great Excuse to talk about the parameters, the rules for this podcast. Can't please, Kenny. Rules, 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 rules. I got the rules down. (laughs) Finally, after all this. He's nailed it down. If if it is a foreign film, (laughs) the year in which it had its North American premiere is is the year it would count for this podcast, Mm -hmm. like Mononoke. If it is an American film, it's when it had its world premiere, like Virgin Suicides. Sure. That's it. Mm. That's it, guys. Don't come and at us with your Rushmore so shit. Every film, we, every film we have done fits into those parameters. It does. It does. Um, we love Rushmore. We just it came out and yeah. it came out. And we'll never do it on this podcast, <laughs> just because it. You know, yeah. yeah Unfortunately. What, so next week. Next week. Next week we're gonna do uh, Jesus's son. Indeed, we are. Yeah, starring. Ashikata himself, Ashikata himself, <laughs> Billy Crudup, um, and Jack Natural. Black. One of Jack Black's first performances. Uh, yeah, it is one of his. I mean, it's after High Fidelity. It is after High Fidelity. But, um, yeah, it's it's one of the movies that solidified him as a, uh, a mainstay of mainstay a mainstay of screen. That's right, a mainstay. <laughs> it's. Uh, I've seen Jesus' Son back in the day. I have two. Um, I, I quite liked that it. That was 1999. I thought that was it was it was later. and a Canadian film as well. <laughs> what that's worth. <laughs> uh, it's um, you've read the book, correct? Book is incredible. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And the, is the book? I just remember the movie being very episodic in nature. Yeah, the book is a, a bunch of short stories. Okay. Yeah. We also have a great guest coming on for Jesus' Son. We have uh, Gideon Yago coming on of uh, of amazing of uh, MTV fame mm-hmm. and the newsroom. He was a writer right on, on that. The newsroom, yeah. um, so we're excited to have him on for that, which yeah. I think will be super fun. Uh, yeah, I, I don't remember much about it. I remember the vibe of it. If that makes Me any too. sense, I remember. I remember time. I remember the That's two fair. of them in cars. <laughs> I remember a lot of like Sweatshirts. rehab clinics. <laughs> Like, I just, I just remember a lot of like just a lot of weird stuff. But I'm excited to rewatch it. I, Billy Crudup is one of those guys who feels like he had a couple moments to break, and it just oh, never yeah. really happened. But maybe to his benefit because he's still working, right? Like, he's yeah, still, you still yeah. see him pop, pop in yeah. here and there. That yeah. guy, like, he still might break. I could, <laughs> like, yeah, like, right. It's one right. of those things where like he might just like. He might, he might just like in his mid fifties, just have some like run. I could see him also getting a cable show and winning a bunch of Emmys. Like I could see him getting yes. like yes. some fucking For cool sure. HBO show or something like that. And then all of a sudden he's like, I, you know, I, I feel like after almost famous, if he wasn't going to be a mainstream movie star after almost right. famous, I don't think he's going to get a better shot, than a that. better crack than that. I kind yeah. of agree with that. Problem is the kind of shows that Billy Crudup would star in aren't really getting made right now. That's true. You know, that's what do you true. mean? 
I mean, white male protagonist, like white male oh. conflicted protagonist, yeah. like yeah. probably five years ago, maybe three years ago. Yeah. Like, anti-hero kind of anti-hero deal. type of thing. Like he's to me, he's the obvious guy, but I think he kind of missed his window for that thing. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. And he, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure. Look. No shortage of white men on TV, so there are other roles for him. <laughs> sure, but the, but there aren't fine. necessarily other roles that I think he's perfect for in a lead in a protagonist position. I would I, I would agree, but I, I could maybe see him. He'll shock me. I could also see him having a renaissance as like a getting a little older and becoming a amazing supporting actor who's in a litany of like you know what I mean. Like yeah, that's what I think about him. Too. Yeah, I think of him in Spotlight. He was really good in that. Um, I could see him sort of breaking in different ways, but he's a really interesting actor. He would not have been my first choice for Dr. Manhattan, but uh, oh, he was right. fine. Yeah. <laughs> I saw his giant blue dong for two or two John plus blue. hours. Um, oh, just a, a just an odd choice. Um, thank you for coming on, Miguel. Yeah, thank Miguel, you for was having awesome. me. This was really fun. Will you come on again? Is there, yeah, of course. There's a whole bunch of other like weirdo animated stuff that we've got this year that I, I'd be interested in sort of, or not animated. Does need to be? We're running low. Was Fantasia 2000 released in 1999? It was. <laughs> <laughs> that could we, we, be like, I don't know if you guys do mini ones, but that could be, be maybe a mini one. We're doing like, a full one. We're doing a full one on we're, Fantasia 2000. Oh, okay. We're recording right. it in about a month. Yeah. Because we're excited to see the take that this guy actually, has. I actually love, uh, I love Fantasia and I love Fantasia 2000. Um, Unabashedly. I no, do. Fantasia is one of my favorite amazing. animated films. Yeah, I easily. fell asleep in that movie in the theater. I remember as a kid and I was just like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> It'll be a weird movie to talk about. I'm excited to talk about it. What's weird is can't see it anywhere. Got to buy the Blu-ray to watch that one. Already did for 50 bucks. <laughs> wow. The, really? The twofer, right? The two of them? Uh, yeah, I, don't I know. think it's well, Fantasia and Fantasia no 2000. You get Fantasia because it's all in Fantasia 2000. Is it? Yeah, it's just Fantasia with a couple other. No. Oh, couple, see, I didn't know. Oh, they're all new thing. ones? They're all new. Yeah. <laughs> then I might be talking about You don't something. know your Fantasia. Maybe I've only seen Fantasia. Maybe I've never seen Fantasia 2000. Uh, you should watch Fantasia 2000. If anything, especially after this podcast, because the last oh, no. the last short does this, yeah. this is, doesn't have the Gershwin one? It does. It's the Gershwin one. Um, <laughs> but the last short of Fantasia 2000, many people cried foul at because it is such a Princess Mononoke ripoff. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Like, does Fantasia 2000 have Mickey and the Brooms? That's, that's Fantasia. Fantasia. Does it? So uh, that's what my point is. I thought it was just Fantasia with two more. Fantasia two thousand only has Sorcerer's Apprentice with Mickey and the Brooms, and that's the only one that carried that they because they knew it was so it. iconic. They had yeah, to they're just like okay, we just all right. We'll conclude. see what happens. <laughs> yeah. We'll see how this Can goes. Can I just say that Fantasia 2000 is a ridiculous title? Like, it makes it I sound know. like this super cool futuristic, like, <laughs> fucking robot version of Fantasia, but it's like, you know, it's it, the same shit. You know when it was released, right? <laughs> December 31st, 1999. Right under the wire. Oh right under the wire. <laughs> Incredible. Well, right. thank you again for coming on. You promise that yeah. you'll come on again? Absolutely. Awesome. Thank awesome. you so much for, for, a, yeah. for a non-animated movie, potentially. Yeah, yeah no. For whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm at Pia Miskov on Instagram and Twitter. We are at Podcast Like 1999. Please rate, review, subscribe. Thanks.
Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.